This episode is supported by Dove. For nearly two decades, the Dove Self-Esteem Project has provided no-cost resources to parents, mentors, and educators to build self-esteem and body confidence in young people. Now, they're taking action to support the next generation so that they can have a positive experience on social media. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, causing girls to digitally distort themselves on social media, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life, impacting girls' self-esteem. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. They're also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. Head over to dove.com slash the selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today. But Alex, yeah, Shane. let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for Happy Hour on this Family Tree podcast, episode 86. And we have a good episode today. Amazing conversations on this episode. We start off with Jessica Ehrlich, who is a writer, a poet, and we talk, we, we really get in-depth on just the motherhood experience and what that's looked like for both of us. And that's how you say her name? Ehrlich. Oh, I was saying Ehrlich in my mind. I was saying Ehrlich too. It's Ehrlich. But yeah, we talk about giving birth, what it's like following that. And what about motherhood inspires her writing? Because she does do an incredible job at kind of capturing the voice of moms or the thoughts inside your head in regards to your kids and things like that. Like, check out her writing. Uh, they will make you cry. You want to know a secret, Alex? What? Don't tell anyone. What? I cried. <laughs> uh, before this interview, I read some of her poems and cried. I It's so, it really touches your heart. Like she really voices it perfectly. Well, she had one that bashes deadbeat dads that really hit home for me. Get out of here. Okay. <laughs> Next up, we have Tia Slightum and she is a parent coach. We talk a lot about how parents are the ones that need to change before changing your kid's behavior. And it's a really great school of thought. We get really involved in that and it leads down to a rabbit hole of, you know, what to do when your kids are of the age that they're going to start looking at things they shouldn't be on the internet. And it's a great conversation if you're nearing that in the next few years or going through it now. It's Slightum, not slight ham. Slightum. Okay. I, in my mind, I was saying slight Slightum. Slightum. You don't seem confident in that, but okay, everyone, we took a break to actually fact check that and Alex was right. Oh, thank you. But great. You just guessed though. There no, like I didn't. I had it written in my notes from when we interviewed her. Like I wrote her name out phonetically. So I looked it up that day, but then I got unsure now. Isn't it phonetically? Phonetically what I said. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, amazing conversations. You are really going to enjoy them. But Shane, before we get into everything, cheers. Cheers to us. Cheers. The big 3-8, you know, I turned 38. Oh, we're drinking C-Lib. We got to mention that. We'll get I to know. my birthday later. I know. So tonight I made you a really beautiful cocktail. So it is a non-alcoholic cocktail. It's called Moment of Pause. And I got this from this bartender I started following, Max Kube, Max Kubes. I don't really know how to say his name. But he works with C-Lib as well. And he inspired me for this one. So it is made with C-Lib Spice 94, lime juice, apricot nectar, coconut milk and honey he used honey infused with rosemary but i couldn't get all that fancy because we do have two kids at home but what do you think you let me know you take the first sip and you tell okay. me what you all think all right all right i'm always saying what i think i want to know what you think okay <laughs> i think it is beautiful it's beautiful it's sweet the coconut milk adds such a nice it, it, it tastes like a summery 
beautiful drink and it's still so refreshing because the lime juice i can't follow that i agree yeah <laughs> why bother if someone says it perfectly don't add to it like you started mentioning you're 38 now i'm 38 i've got a three-year-old daughter and a zero-year-old daughter so well she's going to be one in july 5th the other one Betty is her name. But yeah, it feels <laughs> it feels the same. I, I actually thought I was 38. I'm at that age where you forget your age. Mm. So when I was 37, I was like, am I 38 or 37? And I think 37 is a very forgettable age. It, it's like the Wednesday of birthdays. Well, when I was 31, the whole half the year I spent thinking I was 32. And then in March, I finally turned 32. And I was like, I feel like I've been this age for ages. You know? <laughs> yeah, but when I found when I was 31, I was tracking more like, oh, I'm closer to 30 than 35. And now that I'm just like, when, once I became closer to 40 than 38, I was like, ah, F it. But see, I'm not closer to 40. I'm still closer to 30. And I'm thinking that way. And I think it's just because I feel comfortable. And I think that maybe when you were 31, I don't know if you were single, if you were dating, but maybe you just didn't have that comfort level where you were in the zone of like, forgetting your age because it doesn't matter anymore you know what i mean well i think i'm just 40 is such a number for a man and i don't know what it is for women for women I, on sitcoms at least i see that 30 is the big number but for a man i feel like it's special thing for 40 i'm just don't look at me like that i'm saying <laughs> the sitcoms told me this this is not any yeah, opinion maybe, of my own maybe sitcoms from like the 90s because i think for everybody like 40s and new 30 50 is the new, you know what I mean? It's getting pushed back because people are just younger, longer. So men and women look at age the same. I think so, yeah. Okay. This is, uh, I'm going to have to throw away my old copies of Step by Step. (laughs) It's one of those, it's one of those sitcoms that you make fun of me for never having seen or never, never heard of. Step by Step? I don't know what that is. I never heard of it. Oh, it's uh, with Patrick Duffy. I know the song. Step by Step. Yeah. And then there's Family Matters. Is that the theme song for that show? Family Matters is do we do No, step by step. Is that the theme song? Uh, you remember dinosaurs? Oh, not the like with the with the dinosaur family, the not the mama. Yeah, not the mama. Of course, that I watched religiously. Okay, that's Quality actually TV. my first topic. <laughs> okay. Do you think the not the mama dino baby was annoying? Um, that's not my first topic. <laughs> like, why are you? You're actually like taken aback and thinking. Hmm. How would I know we were going to transition there? I didn't write that down. So philosophical. Uh, your, your parents had uh, did our date night episode yes, for us. Yes, they did. And shockingly, your mom was acting all nervous and stuff, but she was the star of the episode. Shane, she was acting nervous not only before the episode, but for the next 48 hours, really until you released it. What, we released it this morning? Well, the problem is we released it later than normal. So she thought, oh, they're reconsidering having us on. We didn't perform well. Maybe they're not going to air the episode. Mm -hmm. And Lorna had suggested after she recorded it, oh, if it's no good, don't air it. (laughs) And she thought we took her up on her offer and didn't air it. But the fact is... I am. I have a busy work week, and with all the stuff for the birthday and everything, my schedule got thrown yeah. off. But anyway, the podcast it went up, and it's a hit. Like within a little while of its release, we were getting messages, people saying "best pod ever" and well, all this, and I'm a little offended by that. Actually, people were. I had a message. Somebody was saying that they laughed they truly laughed and they cried and it made them feel all the feels. And you know what? I am a little bit offended, but I think we've done that once or twice. In done, our shows. Done what? Made people laugh or cry. Hopefully we've made them laugh more than once. I hope so. <laughs> Sometimes we're done recording. I just hold my head down in shame. And I'm like, 
Well, we have to put it out, not because it's good, but because it's Sunday night and the episode needs to be kicked out the door. But we hope this episode's good. We actually hope you're laughing and crying right now. But yeah, they gave us some advice on the podcast. I know you haven't heard it, but since I edited it, I'll tell you. Okay. Uh, John thinks we're spending too much time on this family tree and the podcast, and we need to pay more people to do stuff. What do you think of that? Well... I think he's right. And I mean, we've we've started doing that. We have two employees, two awesome employees. I know. But the other day I mentioned all the m- amount of money. Like I was like, Alex, look at this. We pay this person this and this. And we still end up making a little bit of money. Like it's like a very little bit of money. And Alex was so depressed. She's like, <laughs> oh, great. I was trying to make it positive. Like, and you were just so down in the dumps. And we're like, well, I guess, yeah, we're doing it for peanuts. So, yeah. You, okay. You know what? Here's the thing. I, I think that the the benefits of hiring people and paying people to do stuff to take, you know, stuff off of our plate hasn't really kicked in yet because you've been exceptionally busy this month with a shoot. So a shoot. Bless you, Alex. <laughs> Shane is directing a commercial this coming week and he is not a commercial. It's a shoot. <laughs> it's actually not a commercial. It's a it's a corporate video, but Right. And it's it's been taking up so much time. You're so busy, kind of frazzled, and oh come on! I was a I was a delight this week. I had a three year old birthday, my own birthday. I have to. All these people are coming by the house, and I'm I'm so glad to see them. I had the best birthday, and then I was like, I was proud of myself. You you did after do my job. birthday it was Thursday night, and I'm like, you know what? After all these distractions, these very welcome distractions, by the way, but they did eat up a lot of time Mm -hmm. and we had to have a nice birthday celebration. Mother's Day. Mother's Day. All these things. I was like, I haven't really lost my cool once. And I cracked open a beer because you had gotten me some flights of beers for my birthday. There was one left after my birthday and I just cracked it open and started drinking it. And I'm like, I'm actually ahead of the game with my (laughs) job right now. I've worked so hard that I've gotten ahead. All of a sudden, my computer shuts down at that exact moment. I'm not, I know comedy is like hyperbole, but I'm not exaggerating here. It shuts down just as I'm having my first sip of the beer. I'm like, oh no. And then I go down. Alex is in the breaker room, flicking breaker switches in the basement. because a fuse busted upstairs. And I, I told Alex, like, because I had known the fuse was broken upstairs, I said, do you know how to do it? Because I don't, and I don't. And you're like, I got it. I know how to do it. So you flick the the fuses just at random. You're just Be- flicking switches. They're, they're not labeled correctly. They're labeled before the renovation. Of course, but you'd assume that, right? <laughs> because you knew there was a renovation. Like we I bought know. this house after a house flip, so we know that nothing matches in our bedroom, yeah. which is where the fuse wasn't broke. We used to be the attic, so it wouldn't be yeah. the bedroom. Anyway, you didn't warn me, so I didn't save the last five hours of work. So then I was like, okay. I, then I had to look up tutorials how to bring up old Word documents, and I was only able to salvage an hour and a half of work, and I still lost quite a bit. And I was supposed to do a presentation where to present the work on a Zoom call, and I had lost all that. So then I did. I was calm with you. I said, Alex, I'm very disappointed that, <laughs> that this happened. And I just went into the room and watched my tutorials and brought it back up. And then at the end of that, I was like, I handled that well. I didn't lose my cool. You did, you did. I go out in the back, you're drinking a a thing of wine. You're like, Shane, do you want some wine? I'm like, no, like too stressed kind of vibe. 20 minutes go by, (laughs) we're looking at pictures of the kids. We're kind of laughing, I'm coming around. I'm like, yeah, so you got the breaker going. You're like, no, I was thinking of doing that right before bed. I'm like, 
what? I'm like, Alex, if if we don't figure this breaker out, the air conditioner is not going to work. Betty's sweating it up there. I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm like, I, I'm going to have to sleep at your parents tonight. I, I don't know what to do. I need a good night's sleep. And I'm all these hours behind. So I did lose my cool. I apologize, but it, it was a damper on a otherwise great week. It was a great week. And, you know, even with that, I think by the end of it, you know, I'm not going to say that we became closer than we were before, but we resolved things and returned to our regular closeness, you know? Yes, just definitely. A- but it was one of those things where you said, you can sleep at my parents if you like. Cause your par- I offered it. Your parents were at the cottage. And I was like, yep, I'll do that. And then you started crying. You're like, no. <laughs> What? Oh, can I say that? <laughs> Don't embarrass me. But it was like the fake offer, you know? Well, and sometimes a fake offer, you got to be careful because the person might say yes. Well, no, because when I offered it, when I said, you know what, Shane, you have a lot to do tomorrow. You should just sleep at my parents. I meant it. But then hmm. when we were getting ready to go because I was going to drop you off there. I got real upset and I was like, oh man, like, I don't want you to sleep away for one night when you don't have to. And it made me, it made me feel really sad and I got a pit in my stomach. And I know that if he had gone, I just, I would have been up all night being sad. Well, I was up all night uh, listening to the baby, baby. cries, <laughs> but you know what? This is just life as a parent and this is going to be a very brief time, a time that we're supposed to appreciate, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it's a great episode. People are loving it. Check out the last episode, Date Night, because Alex and I are not on it, but you get to hear lovebirds who have proven that love does exist. They've been married yeah. for over 40 years. Like, like no, John they- talks about seeing Lorna for the first time when he was like 12 or 13. Not that young, really? He, yes. Oh, because I guess he, they knew people in the same neighborhood and everything like that. That's wild. It was, And it was funny. Your mom was like, when it, there was one question, like, what first drew you into John? And she's like, his hotness, obviously. <laughs> and I just was not expecting your mom to say the hotness part. Are, uh, are you surprised where I get it then with me? Oh, no. You are exactly you. like your mom and your dad. And I know that's an obvious statement. Everyone is. But I mean, you pop your peas the exact same as your mom. So to people listening, if you don't know what he means, it's like when you say pee. I have, so I, I keep this thing over my microphone. So if I say Peter Piper, it won't sound like this. Peter Piper. And instead sounds a little bit smoother. Mm-hmm. So Alex, it, it's not a problem. A lot of people have it, but some sometimes you need to put the filter over, over mm-hmm. the microphone to to prevent that from happening. But your your mom does it the exact same as you. She didn't know much about the finances in the house. Yeah. And you don't worry about finances at all. <laughs> so there was a little bit of like, oh, like I'm like the John in the relationship and you're like the Lorna. It's kind of the same type of relationship mm-hmm. yep no i i definitely see that and it was fun to listen to and i felt like i learned a lot more about just you because just hearing from how your parents are and then seeing how that applies to you what did what did you learn about me or like what did you come to understand how the apple falls from the tree it was like oh this is why alex doesn't know finances it's like a genetic thing where she just <laughs> is predisposed not to care i would have thought you got that from your dad who's a little bit more not caring like your He's dad cavalier your dad wouldn't care if he lost his wallet, right? But your dad handles the finances. So right. there were certain qualities you get from your mom that I would have thought you got from your dad and vice versa. So it was interesting to see where they come from. Like, I thought maybe your super outgoing, like wanting hugs came from your dad. Then your, I learned from the podcast, your dad actually didn't like giving hugs because mm-hmm. he doesn't come from a huggy, kissy family. And I'm like, oh, and Lorna brought him to the huggy side to be more affectionate. It was just fascinating. So yeah. ex- exactly what I'm saying, like things I thought you got from your dad, you got from your mom and 
It's well, because they they turned each other into like these like different people. So like my dad is now one of the huggiest, most complimentary people. Like if you're talking to him, like to me, I mean, I'll walk into a room, and this is even when I was living with them every single day. Like if I was going out somewhere, he go, "Oh, honey, you look beautiful." So now if Shane doesn't say I look beautiful within the first five seconds of me entering the room after getting ready, I'm like, "Uh, something's wrong here." Well, we had this whole thing. <laughs> We had this whole thing with our daughter where we were like, we talked to Aaron Trelore, Rob Beauty Talks. It was yeah. like, oh, don't call our kids beautiful. But now I'm supposed to call you beautiful when you walk in the room. And, and now I feel weird when I say your dad, if he doesn't say I look handsome, but now your dad listens to the pod. So now when I do walk in the room, he's adapted that. And he's like, Shane, you look great too. So your dad is uh, very good at adapting and changing his behaviors based on what people want. But yeah, interesting episode which we just ruined for you all by the way because we pretty much t- told you what goes on in that half that episode but still yeah, worth but listening. They, they listen to it to hear the love we can't duplicate the love or we can duplicate the love but we can't duplicate the experience of people that have been married for 35 years uh, you know and they're bigging me up a lot in it i love that they're, they're talking me up how great i am wait uh, are they bigging me up or are they putting me down well i think they knew i was editing the episode <laughs> so you do kiss that person's ass a little bit more and yeah and it was funny like there was parts your dad didn't want me to use so he would just go fuck 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 just because <laughs> he knew i couldn't use he those doesn't parts. swear that's funny yeah uh okay this is just a question i threw in the middle are we different people from the start of the panty are we different people from the start of the pandemic i have become more work workaholic i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but I've, you know, okay, it's not that I've become more workaholicy, but I have just been able to adapt to having way more on my plate. You've trained your brain. Yeah, I, I've been, I've been able to adapt, and it doesn't feel like I'm more workaholicy because I can do it with more ease than I was before, and that's adding a lot of work for this business and for our podcast, for the blog. We do TikTok now, which is ridiculous and successful <laughs> and we've added a, a whole other child a human child to that and somehow staying afloat most days most hours of the day and uh yeah i think that my threshold for that kind of thing has just risen to a place that i could not have pictured it to rise what about you speaking of staying afloat and rising your floaties have stopped Y'all. you haven't had a floaty in two weeks Thanks for updating the fans, Shane. You I'm dingus. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I hate they want you. to know these things. Okay, how have I changed during the panty? Yeah, I, I think like you, I've learned how to take on more mm-hmm. and stressing about it less. You yeah. might disagree with that, but to me, I feel like I have and learned a lot about business. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about business because I had never ran a business before. Yeah. And this you know, when we started this, we thought the pandemic was going to last for three weeks. So we're like, for three weeks, let's try to get bigger guests (laughs) while they're all home. And, you know, maybe we could get a sponsor. And before we know it, this little ball ended up being this huge, almost unwieldy. Is it unyieldy? Unyieldy. Now I don't know. Now I don't know. See, I can't question things because then my whole world gets flipped upside down. It became a big ball of wax (laughs) that we started to have to hire employees and uh, and now here we are. And I, I will say I was never a scheduling person or anything like that. And the fact that 
we've gotten in the habit where even subconsciously I'm scheduling things in my mind every day and if I'm not physically writing down a task list I am in my mind and I'm just getting better at things like that and I think you and I have become better at keeping more patience for each other and we've, we've almost honestly eliminated like obviously not totally it's impossible but we have so minimized our relationship or parenting or regular life squabbles and any of our squabbles or the vast majority have to do with the business which I think is valid because we're working together to make something happen but I just think that in other aspects of our relationship we become way more patient with each other speaking of squabble I feel squabble. like <laughs> squabbles. <laughs> I feel like date night is here to stay. Yeah, date and, night's definitely here to stay. And before this, we never really had a date night. We, mind you, we went on dates. We mm-hmm. would tell. We could tell when things needed, uh, like we needed to let off steam. But now we regularly have a schedule, and I feel like that's something we'll carry for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I love it. Something we've also gotten into is absinthe. That's right. They've list, <laughs> they've lifted a 95-year ban on absinthe. Like made with real wormwood, the stuff that, you know, in large quantities would make you hallucinate. And uh, yeah, we bought the bottle and Alex and I are both similar. Like with surprises, for instance, we will tell each other what we got each other for Christmas or birthdays, Mother's <laughs> Day, anything instantly. We'll tell Lucy what she got for her birthday <laughs> three weeks before, knowing how bad that is to do because... <laughs> Kids don't have the greatest memory when it comes to their actual birthday, remembering that they got a gift before. Point is, when we bought this absinthe, we were like, look at this bottle. We are going to only break this out on the most special (laughs) occasion. It was expensive. It was expensive. You said this to me. You looked at me and you said this. I'm like, Alex, we're going to be drinking this like every other night. (laughs) Cut to us. Two hours later, we're like, want to open it? Let's try a little now. Oh, I wonder if we're going to hallucinate. And so we did it properly because absinthe can be dangerous. Yes. But and you have to dilute it and you can put sugar in it to make it taste a little bit more palatable. But mainly you have to dilute it because it can burn off your taste buds. It's been known to cause hallucinations and, and in some cases it death. So and seizures. I, seizures and everything. So I was like looking it up because we we're planning on drinking it tonight and i was like hey should we ever think of absinthe tonight like next week's gonna be a real big shit show with my shoot and everything so let's have a fun night and i was like are we drinking it too much we're doing it like we're having a shot pretty much every other night so i looked it up to see is absinthe dangerous i googled it says historically seen as dangerous and addictive <laughs> absinthe is a psychoactive drug which may cause delirium epileptic attacks vertigo hallucinations and insanity what people who drink absinthe may die from alcohol <laughs> alcohol poisoning or drinking it unregulated as it contains other additives we'll see unregulated but if they're selling it at the lcbo it has to be incredibly regulated and especially like the absinthe we bought is from france it's made in france so if they are you know trading it over international borders it is heavily regulated everything is now right so like if it's made it's it's made with wormwood which is the hallucinatory or the hallucinogenic and but hallucinogen the That'd be a good name for a gin, actually. Hallucinogen. Made, gin made with wormwood? I don't know. It's just a cool <laughs> name. But uh, it's it's not in any amount that will make you weird. Maybe in the early 1900s and the 1800s in France and in Europe, it wasn't regulated. And they were just throwing in like, you know, so much wormwood, you may have been doing acid. But it's, it's different now. And I think that in regards to... So it's very strong. It's 124 proof, which means what's 124 divided by two? That would be 62. Okay. So it's 62%, which is 
That's high, right? Incredibly strong. Yeah. So you don't want to have a lot. So like Shane and I, we have been making a cocktail. So like we'll have like one absinthe cocktail. We've done it like three nights this week, which has been super fun. So like I'll do one shot of absinthe and then you mix it with ice cold water, like ice cold water, just filtered water and sugar. And then it turns it like the absinthe itself is clear. But then when you mix it with the sugar and the ice cold water, I think it's called the louche effect. And it goes like cloudy and like kind of milky looking. It's so cool. So really, you're just drinking absinthe water and a little sugar. And it's like a beautiful cocktail. But Alex, should we get to our first guest right now? Yes. Let's go to our interview with Jess Ehrlich. Not quite yet. Before we do that, we have to tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. That's B-R-E-S-T. Breast like that. And for more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. And I'm no lactation expert, but I'll tell you this. It has been the most comfortable breastfeeding pillow I've ever used. It is. And you know what? You didn't do breastfeeding. You did bottle feeding. So it's like they're... But I used a breastfeeding pillow. You, you Well, because you're feeding your kids. So that's the thing. It, I don't even think calling it a breastfeeding pillow. It's like a multi-purpose feeding pillow. And it is so amazing. And it's simply the best. Most, and it has an iPhone holder. It has an iPhone. Or you could put a little water bottle in there or something like that, like a Hydra flask. But it's, it's great. And it's honestly like the Cadillac of breastfeeding pillows or nursing pillows, if you will. It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com. Target.com, Walmart.com, Babylist.com, and Amazon.com. But now let's get to our interview with Jess Ehrlich. Jessica, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been reading your stuff online for, I don't know, maybe six months now. I think I discovered you six months ago. And everything just hits home like crazy and makes me like I'll be sitting there hunched over my phone like breastfeeding or something and my eyes will just start welling up with tears all the time and it's just you have such a way with words. So I am so excited uh, that you're here today with us. Thank you so much. But I wanted to ask when did you start writing? When did you get into this? Because it is something that you seem so natural at. Well I actually started writing I guess my first poem was when I was five and then I went to writing class and it was more of a hobby really and I would just sort of do it in my spare time it was just a way for me to kind of I guess offload all the thoughts in my mind and express myself I didn't really read it to anybody it was kind of just my own thing Mm -hmm. and then for a period of time I'm not really sure when it was I think it was maybe I guess in my late teens I just stopped and yeah I don't know why but I just stopped for a really long time and it wasn't actually about five months after the birth of my second that my husband said to me, I was in a bit of a slump and my husband mm-hmm. said, oh, I think you should start writing again. And he said, why don't you just set up a, you know, an Instagram page, even if nobody's on there, it doesn't matter. It's just a place to put your thoughts down. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. And that's kind of just how it all started. And then since then you've now published, what is it? Three poetry books? Uh, two poetry books, um, which are self-published, and a children's book on emotions called The Rainbow in My Heart, which is published. That's amazing. You know, I think about it, and I, I found you because of, you know, some other mom reposted. They're like, oh, my God, read this. You're going to ball your eyes out. And then I read it, and I did. And so many moms are impacted by your work. And is there a piece that you think has resonated 
the most with that kind of audience? Yeah, I think the one that's resonated the most would be my piece, All I See Is You. I think because I've written that from the baby's perspective. So I think that will always target the heartstrings. And, you know, as mums, I think we are so hard on ourselves and we are our harshest critics. And I think when you read something like that, that's so reassuring and you actually realize, hang on a second, I am everything to my baby. I am actually all that they need. So I think that piece has really provided a lot of comfort to new mums, um, but new and old as well. I get messages from grandmothers saying, thank you so much for taking me back to those early days. So I think, yeah, I think that piece out of all of the pieces has been the one that's spoken to the most. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned uh, that you were going through kind of a slump. Now, I went Mm. through postpartum anxiety, and Mm. that was the hell of a slump. I mean, that was really hard to get my mind around. Like, we've talked about Mm. this before. I'm a very positive person, and I've never dealt with – any any negative mental health stuff before so that was a first for me and it was really hard to kind of get to the point where I was like oh this is what's going on because I don't think I wanted to admit it and it was hard for me to find that outlet and then our podcast became an outlet for me and you know me doing kind of writing online too and that helped so much but was your slump similar like was it a postpartum thing or Yeah, it definitely was. Um, It actually started after my first birth. Um, It was quite a traumatic birth, so I do believe that would have had some impact. I sort of, to cut a very long story short, I got to hospital, I got sent away, and I was given two Panadol, two codeine. I was told that I was probably going to be, you know, having those types of contractions for two days. I I had a posterior um, pregnancy, so that was quite painful. But to hear those words, I just thought, no, like, you know how you're sort of told throughout pregnancy as you're preparing for birth to trust your body. I was really wanting to do that. And I felt like I was connecting and I was like, no, I I need to be here in hospital right now. So being turned away was quite tough. And I was sort of told by my midwife, call me at seven in the morning and just give me an update. Well, at five in the morning, I was like, I need, we, we need to go. And when I got it, I couldn't get in touch with her. She didn't pick up. And when I got in, um, they actually, before giving me an examination, they tried to turn me away again. Their words words to me were, if you were in labor, you'd be crawling on the floor and reaching for the gas, an active labor. And then I started vomiting and they were like, oh, okay, we'll give you an examination. And I mean, it was just a series of things. And the nurse um, or the hospital midwife, she said when she was examining, she goes, oh, this is either a really good thing or a really bad thing. I'm like, so reassuring. what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, turns out that I was fully dilated, so um, I was ready to go. But it was just, I, I guess, the whole series of events. I mean, my son's heart rate dropped quite dramatically. Mine skyrocketed. The crash team came in. So just to cut a long story short, it was quite tough. And then we found he he was healthy and everything was fine in the end. But it wasn't a very good birth. And I felt like I hadn't been listened to. I think that's where the doubting myself actually started. Mm -hmm. And then going on to breastfeeding, which was something I really, really wanted to be able to do. We just couldn't make it happen. And there was a lot of pain. It was very, it was actually, I felt like it was more painful than labor, to be Mm -hmm. honest. 
and we sought a lot of help and nothing worked. And just making that switch to formula was the right thing for us. It definitely was. But I just wept. It was it was just so hard for me to make that decision. I just felt like I'd failed. So I sort of like, I guess you could say I had a bit of a rocky beginning. And then the postpartum anxiety really started to set in. And I don't know about you, but I had a lot of intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Like what kind of thoughts, like when you say intrusive thoughts, what do you mean? What are you thinking? Well, one of the big ones, I mean, I had quite a lot of random ones, but like I found it really hard to leave the house because, you know, we'd always walk on the same block. But even if I did and I saw like a dog off its lead, I'd automatically straight jump to the thought of the dog running to the pram and mauling my child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just really horrible visions, I guess. Ones that really made no sense. You know, car accidents. If someone was walking behind me, I would imagine it was like a, a bad person who was going to try and take my baby. And so I was like, oh my goodness, why, why am I projecting these horrible thoughts out there? Like, I'm so, you know, I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky. Um, I have everything I could have wanted, you know, right here in my arms. Why am I thinking these things? And I just didn't want to talk to anyone about it because I felt so, I don't know, I guess I felt shame because yeah. I didn't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that, that was very much similar to me. Just having a hard time understanding it myself and then it being hard to even say Mm -hmm. to Shane when you know my intrusive thoughts would often even involve him like make zero sense like oh you know he's gonna leave me and the baby but but they didn't make any sense I knew rationally he wasn't (laughs) (laughs) but I knew rationally that wouldn't happen and it was I just couldn't stop myself and it would make me so nervous and get so worked up Mm. and you know when kind of describing your traumatic birth my first birth was very scary. It wasn't traumatic to that degree, but it was very terrifying. And I don't know if it's because it was my first time experiencing it or if it was just because it, it really was kind of scary. But do you think there's a disconnect between what we're always being told, you know, listen to your body, trust your body, and then the things that we go through. So whether it's a traumatic birth, whether it's trouble breastfeeding, and it's all these things that we're supposed to inherently do or be able to know how to do and like even be motherly and be maternal towards a newborn. Do you think there's a disconnect with what we're told and, you know, the reality? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons that I started writing some of the things that I did, because I don't know about there, but in New Zealand, you know, like we've got our antenatal classes and you sort of, I mean, they're they're good. You do learn things you didn't know. I mean, I didn't even know how to put on a nappy before I Mm -hmm. went to um, an antenatal class. So you learn the basics. They teach you about how to get a good latch, which means nothing really until you put the baby there. But I sort of felt, and this is what I learned afterwards, is that there's no real support for the mother that can't breastfeed and what that does to you emotionally. You know, there's countless lactation consultants out there But it's the stuff that happens that when it doesn't go to plan, I sort of feel like there's not much, you know, there's no real safety net there. Yeah, so I struggled with that. And I didn't see, and even like social media, I would scroll my feed and everything always just looked so perfect. And so there's this kind of mentality that you have to have this Pinterest worthy playroom and you need to have all the things, everything, and you need to look perfect all the time. There wasn't, I didn't see, well, maybe I just wasn't following the right people, but I found that there was like a real lack of, I guess, just the real world, what yeah. real motherhood is actually like out there. Yeah. And how old is your first? Like how long ago was that? 
Um, so my first is three and a half and my second is two and a half. So they are a year apart. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was full on. <laughs> yeah. And do you find that things have changed since then? Like, are you seeing more of that, the realism in motherhood being projected online or are you still seeing, do you think more of the idealized version? I still, I see both, and but I see a lot more of the real motherhood now. And I think that's a little bit about who I choose to follow. And I think that's really important as well. I think as well, like when you become a mum, sometimes your friend circle changes. That can be a really hard thing to wrap your head around. But, so, you know, you've got to be conservative of your energy. And I think the same goes for online. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of opinions. So I just think it's really important to keep the company of what aligns with you. Yeah. yeah I, I was reading one of your poems today and it was about how a mom does so much during the day. And then the father comes home at the end of the day and says, what did you do today? And it's like, Oh, nothing. I didn't really get anything done. It was just a series of never ending monotonous tasks. So how do you get work done? When do you do it? And what is your process like? It's a little bit easier now that the kids are in kindy a couple of days a week and my mum takes them on a Friday, which that's just been life-changing. But in the beginning with the writing, that was really challenging. So I couldn't sit down and write something with the two of them because essentially I had two babies. So if something came into my head and it was usually on a really chaotic day that I would be really inspired to write, but obviously I couldn't. So I just jot something on my phone and then I'd expand on it later on. So it would normally be if I had a chance to have a bath later on or if I um, was breastfeeding at two in the morning. A lot of my pieces actually are from 2am feeds. Um, so that was pretty much, yeah, that, that was the only time I really got to write in the early days. But actually that was, it kind of worked out mm-hmm. <laughs> in the end because those were the moments that I guess was so raw and I felt so deeply and I was able to put my thoughts out there. Mm-hmm. And how long, I've never written a poem before, uh, how long does that take to do? I'm assuming much longer uh, than one would think, but I don't know. Oh, it depends. They're all different. One of them that actually went viral called Dear Mama, I wrote in 15 minutes. <clears throat> and that was, a, oh, wow. I remember that in the middle of the night. Yeah, I just wrote it in 15 minutes. I was sitting there, I had my little girl. I'd actually just been to a funeral And it was a friend of mine. He left three kids behind and it was very, yeah, it was very, very sad. And that actually inspired me to write something about the things that your kids actually are going to remember. Mm -hmm. I wrote that in 15 minutes because I I think it was just, everything was just coming to the forefront of my mind and I had to just get it on paper while in my phone notes. But then there have been other pieces that I have really gone back and forth on a lot and sort of scrutinized and yeah so some might take like a couple of days going back and forth yeah right um, just depends. so it's like being a songwriter so you hear like the biggest hit was written in like two minutes and then like some b-side takes like years i guess i guess so yeah. and songs are a form of poetry aren't they yeah, so, yeah, absolu- yeah. absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. and yeah. you know think about the kid the things that your kids remember and you know, I, I haven't I haven't read that, but just thinking about that, you know, it's I stress about a million and one things every single day. And I know Shane does too. And like we are running around like frazzled, I don't know, nut bars from <laughs> six thirty yeah. from six thirty in the morning until nine o'clock at night. And there's no breathing room, right? And then 
the same with you. I find that my the most peaceful time comes in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., at 4 a.m. when I'm sitting there feeding my baby because I'm sitting there, I'm either scrolling my phone, looking at photos, or I'm just kind of reflecting on the day and thinking, oh my God, like what did I get so frustrated about that about? Why was I stressing out about the playroom not being totally cleaned or even a little bit clean like it's a disaster when they're just going to remember having a great playroom? And are you able to you know, separate those thoughts and kind of put all the bullshit to to the side or do those kind of still intrude on you? Oh, they still intrude on me. Sometimes I have to read my own pieces to remind myself. (laughs) But but that's sort of why I do it sometimes is I write something to remind myself because I'm not perfect and I definitely do not have it all together. I'm very, I'm a neat freak. My husband is too. So together it's shockingly bad. Like if I put something, you know, like out of place a little bit, I'll watch my husband come in and he'll just move it to the side. So you can imagine a two and a three-year-old, we're just like. (laughs) But I just try and remind myself, you know, like the playroom example, we've got one too. And most of the time it's an absolute shit show. But I just think at the end of the day, what are they going to remember? They're either going to remember me making everything spotless while they're just trying to get five minutes of time playing with me, or they're going to remember that five minutes of time that I spent with them that will mean the world to them. That'll actually make a memory. So I just try and put it into perspective a little bit and think one day we'll have a clean house and it will be empty then and we'll probably wish for this time back. Yeah. That's sad. (laughs) Thinking about that's when it's finally going to be, you know, peaceful and clean is when it's empty. And that's like, yeah, that's heartbreaking to me. What about uh, like during like when the kids are younger, it's so chaotic and sometimes the marriage can take a back seat uh, during that time period. Do you do anything to like like have a date night or any sort of connecting thing with your husband? Oh, we're actually not so great at that. We're, it's better now, but in the early days, no, because um, Holly wasn't on a bottle. She was just breastfeeding. Harry was, you know, still a baby. So we couldn't get anyone to come and babysit really. But I guess we just tried to make time. So when, you know, that silence finally did fall over the house in the evening, we'd sit together. We'd probably be too exhausted to actually have like a proper conversation. But we'd just, you know, have a little bit of banter, get get a bit of that friendship back and try and not just talk about, our children which is just such an <laughs> easy thing to fall into as well but yeah I guess that's all we could really do in the early days but I think because Drew and I we had a very solid friendship before going into it I think that really helped especially those nights where you're up two or three times and your ship's in the night and yeah I mean thank goodness we had that because it was tough mm-hmm. yeah. oh it is it is so tough And, you know, there's so much emotion and experience that comes with it, with having your first kid, right? I think it's such a huge learning curve. And obviously for you, it wasn't just a learning curve, but it was, you know, inspirational in a sense. And that's when you started picking up your writing again, whether the emotions were good or bad, I'm sure. But what is it exactly, if you can pin it down, that you find so inspirational or motivating about motherhood? I think it's just the fact that we show up every single day and there's no question about it, Um, no matter how hard it is. And it is, I mean, I find it a lot easier to talk about those hard days and I think that takes practice. But I can do that because I know it doesn't make me ungrateful. Like I would do anything for my kids. 
um, just like any loving mother would, you know, and I think that's the thing. It's like rain or shine. There's this overwhelming love there and nothing will ever break that. But it's quite interesting that you can have these huge highs and lows, but you know, they're your heart, they're outside of your body and it's just, it's all consuming. No, absolutely. It is. And it is, you know, so transforming in a lot of ways. Like I look at who I was and who I think we were as a couple too, before having kids and you grow in so many ways Mm -hmm. and so many ways that I I couldn't even fathom before I had kids. Cause I just, I, I couldn't picture it. I didn't know what would happen, but for you, what has been the most transformative aspect do you think of becoming a mom? Oh gosh, probably a few things, but I think, I think the most transformative for me has actually been finding my voice. I think I didn't have the confidence before having kids to speak up like I would now. And it might be because I would happily speak up for them and in turn to model that confidence, I will speak up for myself. That I know has been because of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I think it's a confidence thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Took me a long time though, to be able to lean into that confidence. I had a lot of doubt to begin with. I, yeah, didn't quite believe in myself as a mother to, to start with. But when I realized that I was to follow the elite, yeah, it, it made me so much more confident in my journey and really shaped motherhood for me then. Mm-hmm. And how trying was the pandemic for you? I'm not sure how hard New Zealand was hit by it, but was there any takeaways that you still apply to this day in your day-to-day life? Um, oh, look, we, we're very lucky here in New Zealand. Um, I think we had a three-month lockdown stint. It might not have even been that long. Gosh, it feels like a long time ago now, but during that short time, I just really enjoyed having my husband home to help. Yeah, that's the vacation (laughs) period, those three months, yeah. Just going to be totally honest, it was really great for us. And he actually quite liked it too. We just got to, I we actually got to connect more. And yeah, it was good. And that's actually when I wrote my book. So even though it was quite mad um, and we couldn't go out anywhere, I kind of realized that it didn't really matter. Like we were happy at home. Um, we were privileged to be happy mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and then at nighttime and sometimes during the day um, when my husband had a bit of a break, I just started pulling all the pieces together to make a manuscript. So yeah, that happened in lockdown. So, so wait, is, is COVID like done over there? I mean, yeah, it is. We do have community. Well, we've had a couple of community breakouts, but they contain it really, really quickly. So we just walk around without masks. We're very lucky. We have been doing that um, for a very long time. So you now, can go so. to like a restaurant, sporting events, things like that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Just, we, oh. So, <laughs> Jessica, we are in a full on stay at home order and have been yeah. for and I weeks. I feel awful <laughs> saying that. I'm sorry. <laughs> We haven't really left the house or gone anywhere in 15 months. Yeah. Wow. I just can't imagine it, honestly. And it it was like you, the first, like almost the first six months, Mm -hmm. we were enjoying it and making the best of it. And I started going a little batty around nine Mm -hmm. months. And it just feels like it's it's never going to end. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's a really long time. Yeah. No, it's, I just want to, I'd love to go grocery shopping. Like I drive by my grocery store where I would go like shopping and where I'd, you know, smell the coffee before buying it. And I look at it longingly and like, I have like an aching in my heart just for a grocery shop because yeah. we haven't even done that because I'm high risk. So it's been like, it's, are you guys getting vaccinated over there? What's, what is 
the situation yeah there's vaccines there's vaccines and um older people and i guess people that work in travel and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing they take priority first but yeah the vaccines out here at the moment man good for you guys yeah it's been taking we finally got booked but it's been taking a while anyhow sorry that was that's fascinating and i am very jealous but you know going back to kind of our conversation about motherhood you know mother's day in north america is coming up this weekend is it the same in new zealand or is it yours on a different date Mm -hmm. it's the same yep ninth of may yep Mm -hmm. so you know when i first became pregnant and you have all those emotions especially like in the first trimester and then again in the third when you're about to give birth and i would call my mom like from the I don't know, two weeks after I found out, I'd start calling her every single day, like bawling my eyes out, apologizing for all the times that I was like bitchy to her as a teenager or didn't understand her or thought she was being dorky and uncool. And I'm like, I get it now. I get it. You just love me so much. And (laughs) I was just thinking about this like little blob of cells that I had growing in me that weren't even anything yet. And I had so much love for them and I would have done anything for it. And obviously that stands even more now that the babies are, you know, on this side and they're here with us. But did you, in becoming a parent yourself, learn anything more about your mom or become connected with her in a different way, in a way that you hadn't experienced prior to having kids? Oh, definitely. Yeah, my mom was actually there for the birth, um, both births. Yeah, um, I had her and my husband. Um, Because I also felt like he needed some support as well. (laughs) You know, it's pretty full on, you know. But yeah, she she was so amazing during that time. And then I I always remember her telling me that she had baby blues and that she, I remember her telling me that breastfeeding me was really hard and that she had to wean me, I think, after a few days. And me being so completely naive at the time and I think I was pregnant and I'd gone to my antenatal classes so I knew everything like I was a great mum before I had kids <laughs> and I think I said to her oh well you mustn't have just got the latch right so you know and mum just nodded her head and you know she didn't say anything she I mean if it were me I would have just oh would have felt fire and rage but she didn't say anything and then I went through exactly what she did um, I had the baby blues you know there were tears in the shower um, the breastfeeding, as I mentioned earlier, was really, really hard for me with Harry. And um, I just had this huge respect for her. And that started so early just with those, you know, with those hurdles. And I just thought, wow, you know, she really underplayed that. It's actually so big. It's so hard. Um, and she was really young when she had me. And I just think, I don't know, she and she was also a single mother for a while. And I just look back now and I just think, wow, you know, I've just got such a newfound respect. And I too wish that I hadn't been such a hideous teenager to her. <laughs> Hopefully I don't get my karma later on. I'm so nervous for that. <laughs> Let's not think about that. <laughs> got a while to go. If we, yeah, no, thank God for that. Hopefully I can, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know what kind of foundations I need to put in place to ensure that that doesn't happen. But I am nervous for that because I think that to some degree there's no avoiding it. And then it's not until they're adults, whether or not they have kids, that they come to that realization that, oh, my God, my parents just love me. And that was actually very cool of them to sacrifice so much and whatever. But it is hard. And I, you know, I, I think about my mom and, you know, in that in me becoming more grateful or just kind of having a better understanding of what she went through with my brother and I, because my dad traveled a lot for work. And it was often just her with the two of us, like 
for weeks on end and and that's really that's really tough and she when she talks about those days and like when she talks about just the troubles that she would have gone through she romanticizes it to a point where she doesn't even really and she's never really told me the struggles and when I was growing up like everything just sounded so perfect so I think that's another reason when I got pregnant and started having a hard time because I had two really terrible pregnancies like I hated being pregnant in how I felt uh that was all kind of like a shock to me and that I I don't want to blame her for anything (laughs) but because I know things get romanticized because like even I think oh I'd love to get pregnant again but I know I don't want to and I cannot but do you feel that you had a more honest, uh, I guess, conversation or conversations with your mother about that kind of thing? Or, or do you feel like that that's romanticized just by the majority of the older generations? I think the older generations. I, I, Mum definitely didn't over-romanticize anything. She, she actually didn't really go into too much either. She, yeah, she really didn't actually. And I felt a huge shock when Harry came along, because I just was not prepared for any of the feels, yeah. but then no one, no one can prepare you, right? But I think it's the older generation, and I just, I mean, I wrote this in a piece once, um, that whole enjoy every minute, you know, that whole, like, nostalgia kind of colours in their memory, and everything was perfect, even the sleepless nights, they seem perfect now, <laughs> but when you're in it, when you're actually in it, it's torture Mm -hmm. so yeah I think it doesn't help to hear enjoy every minute and it doesn't necessarily help to hear the romanticized version but I guess it's nice to know that maybe one day we'll feel that way as well and I think there's nothing wrong with remembering how hard it was as well but I just think that yeah even now like you just mentioned about you know thinking about another pregnancy even though you wouldn't I kind of think about that sometimes too and I think oh you know so nice to have a newborn and then I'm like oh no way like I know my limits and like I've reached (laughs) smell other people's babies heads and I'll be fine (laughs) okay Jess we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know who we are supported by we are supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. They believe in quality over quantity and they make the absolute best basics for your littles. They make the most fashionable wardrobe staples that are so comfy and timeless and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. They're on the mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they are arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. Use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US and again that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. Okay but we are also supported by the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. Whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. And I think we're going to be drinking Seedlip for forever. I think so too. It is such a part of our, you know, weekly routine that we really look forward to. And as a non-drinker, if you're taking it off for the night even, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. 
It's crafted using a traditional copper distillation of botanicals and each of Seedlip's three variants, so Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But I mean, if you want to make a more complex cocktail like we made tonight, you can check out the Seedlip cocktail book or their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off of your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and ThisFamilyTree10. But now let's get back to our interview with Jess. And now, you know, if friends or I know like you're, you have a big presence online, if women are coming to you and asking you whether you know them or you don't know them, do you take on a romanticized approach or do you... Like, do you kind of tell it like it is? One thing I don't do is I don't give out like any advice because I'm no expert and I'm pretty honest about that. Like, I think I feel like I'm an expert with my kids and what I feel is best for them, but I'm not a parenting expert by any means. So like I do have people sometimes reaching out to me about certain things. And I think one thing that I try and do more is just, just listen. And I think that's what a lot of us need rather than trying to fix anything or have advice because, you know, there's advice everywhere you know google searches it'll tell you everything it's just I think a lot of the time what what mums and dads really need is just someone to listen to them mm-hmm. and just be there. yeah yeah no absolutely and I was reading you had a, a, a very sensitive son is is there any different like advice to people out there with sensitive children and how to parent <laughs> a sensitive child well it's quite it's hard if you're sensitive too, and you think it would be easy, but I think that we come from a generation where feelings weren't really talked about. It was kind of like that whole, don't cry, go to your room. So you kind of like learn to just sort of bottle things up. So when you're a highly sensitive person yourself and you're trying to parent a highly sensitive child, there's a lot of unlearning and there's a lot of, yeah, just having to reteach yourself. Like you're kind of parenting yourself in a way. So not really. I think just again, like what I was saying before is not fixing their emotions Mm -hmm. because you can't, they need to be felt, they need to be walked through. It's just holding that space for them. And that's another reason why I created this uh, children's book is because I know for Harry, it was really frustrating for him just not being able to attach a word to how he was feeling. Mm -hmm. And so it's a bit more poetic, but it kind of it gave him that language. It helped him explain how his body was feeling. So in a way, it's kind of like helping children feel seen because these feelings are so, so big and they're so little and they just don't know how to cope with that. Yeah. So it's tough. But I do have a highlight on my Instagram page um, called HSC. And on there, I've put a lot of resources that I found really helpful and lots of Instagram accounts that I find really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the topic of advice and things like that, I'm always curious to know from different people and especially different people in different parts of the world, what was the best advice and the worst advice that you were given? If you can remember, uh, you know, when you, before you became a parent or earlier in, in your journey? Oh, the best advice I would say, and I'm just thinking on the spot, I'll probably think of something afterwards, <laughs> but probably just to take every day as it comes because yeah, I, that's all you can really do, to be honest. And that really took the pressure off me. Worst advice? Oh, I can't think of any really terrible advice. But one thing I absolutely hated was the just you wait and see. 
Mm. What? Sorry, what is that? Oh, just people saying, oh, just you wait. Like it's. Yeah, just mm. unhelpful. Mm. Like, you know, so I just sort of found like if you would say something along the lines of like you're pregnant and you're waddling into work and you're like, oh, my back hurts. And someone would be like, oh, just you wait to the birth. And it's like, <laughs> oh. Um, or, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, just you wait. You don't know what sleepless nights are about. And, you know, like you'd hear that a lot and it's kind of like, oh, you know, the, like there's a fine line between scaremongering and keeping it real. It's more about, I think, the compassion that that we're looking for, not the mm-hmm. brutal honesty, because we can figure that out. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think about all those different stages, like the the nausea and the sickness. I, I had that terribly in both of my pregnancies, specifically the second that you deal with in the first trimester. And, you know, the just you wait and see people kind of chime in. But it's like you're only at that point, especially if it's your first kid, you, you don't have the capacity to even understand what more is. So you're learning as you go and you're developing and your capacity for handling all of that is growing. So it's like, you know, me throwing up and not being able to sleep well during my pregnancy, I'd say is just as exhausting as the sleepless nights that I'm having with my kid, just as exhausting as dealing with a toddler all day who's throwing tantrums. It's all the same. It might just seem like, more to somebody because they've already gone through it and they have now three kids and they're they're dealing with different problems so they think that their problems might be I don't know more difficult just because it's their first time going through that right so it's like we all have different thresholds for what we can what we can what do you mean like what was the word I'm looking for like take, take on yeah I guess yeah and and that grows with how old our kids get but you know we talk so much about motherhood and how transformative is it is for us and how much we change did you notice any big changes in your husband or was it kind of an easier process for him to deal with because I know you went through obviously so much physically and mentally not really like my husband is such a cruiser and he but in the best way because I'm quite highly strung and he's kind of the one that kind of like levels me out so so he's a neat freak and a cruiser yeah, it doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, sounds really hard to hear. He's like really OCD in that way, but nothing actually really bothers him. So he kind of just, yeah, he takes every day as it comes. He was really good for me because I was a real warrior. I was always concerned about something or being really hard on myself, and he would kind of just bring me back down to earth. So he actually hasn't really changed too much. I think he was always meant to have kids. He's a really good dad. I think... We both look a lot more tired now. (laughs) I feel like we've aged 10 years in the last three years. But no, not really. Not other than that. I think it's brought us closer. It might not have felt that way in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, yeah, it definitely has brought us a lot closer. Mm -hmm. No, I I feel the same way about Shane. And I, I feel like whereas I'm, you know, going through the highs and the lows, like wild roller coasters, I feel like you have transformed, but it's just been so much smoother like do you feel that I don't know <laughs> like uh, some days yes and then some days are so bad but one thing I've noticed I've if I I used to try to not work out to save time so I could get more things done but then I found out I would like go crazy almost on the days I didn't work out and I'd have a really bad day or Alex and I would have a really bad day mm-hmm. and so I've made it a habit to try to at least work out for 15 minutes a day no matter what even if it feels like I have no time. And I noticed you on your Instagram today, you were 
up extremely early today working out and you what were heck? you were talking about how that wasn't your thing yeah like what why are you doing that is that is it just because you're like oh this is gonna reduce my anxiety or or is there something else behind there and before you answer just for the listeners who didn't see your story like you were doing instagram stories saying you were about to do pilates at it was 5 30 in the morning you were like doing a six o'clock class like that's wild yeah it was quite a spontaneous decision to actually do it but I've been saying for like I wasn't actually into fitness before kids either but you know I'd get out there I'd go on daily walks and that sort of thing but I didn't enjoy like pushing myself like I've never been like I'm just gonna go trek up that hill sort of person but I don't know I just kind of like you said Shane it's really nice to be able to put some time aside for yourself and I do that with my writing but it's all encompassing on motherhood as well I just wanted something separate that was just for me and I thought I'd give this a go and 6am was the only beginner's class that I could make and I found the beginner's class tough so um, it's going to be a long journey for me but I'm really glad I did it I feel really good today so wait, was yeah. today your first like session or have you mm-hmm. oh my wow. god and you were saying you had a rod you have a rod in your leg too yeah, yeah I've got a metal rod um through my bottom half of my leg and it's from a car accident that I had um when I was about 21 so that just stays in there but I just got to be careful with certain things that I do yeah oh my Mm. god well I'm I'm incredibly impressed at your ability to do that because I tried to run today I haven't worked out in like I don't know maybe a month and it's been the longest because I was getting into it like I was in a groove Mm. for a little bit there where I was going every day I was feeling so good and then I got out of it because I stopped prioritizing it and I was prioritizing other things. And then I went today for the first time and I was so proud of myself on one hand. But then on the other hand, I was so disappointed because I felt like all the progress that I had made before, I'm just like so bad. And it's all that like postpartum stuff, like things like pelvic floor stuff and back pain stuff. And that took a toll on me mentally. I, I felt like I was broken after. And I was like, I'm not broken. I can fix that. But have you ever, because your youngest is older than our youngest. Our youngest is 10 months. But did you go through a recovery period like that? Or were you just back to everything? Was it easy for you? It was actually quite easy for me. Um, I didn't have any complications or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And I mean, when Harry was four months old, I was pregnant again. So I was quite lucky, really, that I didn't have to... I mean, I should have given my body a lot longer to heal in between, but I didn't. But there were no issues. The only thing that did happen to me was I did suffer pretty bad postnatal depletion, basically where your body is just stripped of all of its nutrients. So two back-to-back babies and then going on to breastfeed my second. I was just, I just felt like a bit of an empty shell. So that was really hard. And for a long time, I didn't even know what postnatal depletion even was. Someone was like, hey, I think this is what you have just through my Instagram Mm -hmm. stories. Um, Then I got in touch with a nutritionist and she, you know, prescribed me some things that really started to help me. So I've never heard of that. So what, what do you go through? Like what? No, it's not one. What are the symptoms of that? I just felt just really really tired all the time and I put it down to my sleepless nights but it was bigger than that I was you know really pale I just felt quite like sort of I guess lifeless like the light behind my eyes weren't there I just didn't feel like myself at all and I kind of knew in myself that something was not right so 
there's somebody who specializes on Instagram and I, I will not be able to say his last name correctly. <laughs> Dr. Oscar someone. Anyway, he's amazing to follow. That's not helpful, I know. Um, <laughs> not helpful at all. Actually, if you search that, he'll probably come up. But yeah, it's it's not well known. And even doctors don't really talk about it. My midwife never talked about it. So it is definitely something I feel like every single woman postpartum should really look into that because you do, you lose so much nutrients. Yeah. What, what, what was your treatment to get back to feeling like yourself? I was just prescribed vitamins that were kind of like those, not the stuff that you can get over the counter, like those real sort of blood building. And there were a lot of them. So I was taking those for a while. I cut back coffee, um, which I struggle with because I love my coffee. I but love coffee. It, it, yeah. yeah, it kind of is my lifeline. But I cut that back and I made sure I drank more water. One thing I also did, and this wasn't really directly related to postnatal depletion, but to help with my sleeping, I didn't look at screens half an hour before I went to sleep. And Does I- that actually help? Yeah, it did. It helped with my sleep. I just felt like I had a better sleep. It wasn't so wakeful. And is yeah. this is this the guy, Dr. Oscar Ser- – oh, that's so Wait, bright. Yeah. Dr. Oscar Serilak? Yes. Okay. That's him. All right. Yeah, Beauty. I just, I just hit Solved follow. It. This is amazing. Oh, look at that. Os- author of Postnatal Depletion Cure. Oh, nice. This is interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, this is great. We're going to have to have him on. How many coffees are you at right now a day? Oh, I'm on my third right now, and it is quarter to one. And you, this is you cutting it back? Oh, no, I oh. did cut it back. Oh, you when did? I went. <laughs> okay, pass. Okay, I thought maybe it stuck around. Okay. Yeah, so no, sure. I'm, I'm good now and I'm back on the coffee. I probably shouldn't, though. I mean, it's not good for anxiety. No, I'm on my third coffee today. I this will be my last coffees. one. I, see, I, I've been thriving on three coffees. I've been Me really, too. I think that's my sweet spot because I'll have two in the morning. Like, I'll just refill my cup and then I have one in the afternoon. And it's just mm. like a nice I've warm made hug. It my, I used to just go one and a half, but pandemic made me go to three. So now three has become my yeah. sweet spot. But yeah, uh, I don't mind it at all, though. Like, I don't find that it screws me up, mm-hmm. you know, in a detrimental way. Yeah. But anyhow, Jess, I have one uh, more question for you myself. And that is, you know, you are doing so much to, I think, help new moms and help old moms and anybody, any kind of parent through your writing. Because I really do think that you capture the experience so well in a lot of things like Shane mentioned he was reading uh when a husband comes home and asks you what you've been doing all day and you can't it's like oh what did I do all day nothing but everything and it's like I've tried to explain that to him and I remember him coming home from work when Lucy was just born and he's like what did you do today and I was like oh I don't know change diapers like clean up vomit I don't know like and I think (laughs) that you put those experiences so well into words And, you know, there are other people who are doing other things and I think helping the motherhood and the parenthood community. But how would you like to see this paradigm shift in how people approach motherhood? You know, how how would you like to see that shift? I think I just would like to see mothers placing more value on the work that they're doing because I think that we are really quick to say I'm just a mom or I'm just a stay-at-home mom. We don't realize that, you know, we're doing some amazing things. I mean, we're raising the next generation. It's huge and it's very hard and it's very taxing and very emotional. You know, we're more than just making lunch boxes and changing nappies and the washing in winter that never dries. Like we're so much more than that. And I think we just need to remember that because as I mentioned earlier, we are our harshest critics. So it's about 
um, not being so hard on ourselves and supporting other mothers as well. More of that. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. And I I need to do more of that myself. And I think I need to remind myself of that a lot more. Shane, do you have any uh, finals? Yeah, I'm always curious about routines. Uh, So what time are you going to bed at night? And what time do you wake up in the morning? And do you go to bed at the same time with your partner, Drew? Oh, we always used to pre-kids and now no. And it's funny you say that because no, not really. We've actually just got a spa. So our routine now is as soon as the kids are down, we jump in the spa. And Wait, what been, is a spa? Hot tub. Oh, that's a hot tub. Okay. Hot tub. Yeah. Is that what you call it there? Yeah. Hot tub. Yeah. Yeah. Spa. And that has just been so nice because instead of us vegging out to um, TV, which normally is what we do, or I do some of my work, we're just sitting in there, might have a wine, have an actual conversation, which has been really good. But I normally go to bed at about 10 and then I wake up with both kids in the bed usually about six in the morning mm-hmm. it's yeah. funny that was going to be my prediction i like to predict i usually get it right i was going to say you go to bed at 10 yeah. i usually can tell based on the vibe of the person <laughs> i'm pretty good at it you were talking oh, yeah. about useless skills the other day yeah it's that's one of them skill. yeah <laughs> yeah but anyway i guess yeah. where can people purchase your uh books right now i was reading so much of your stuff it's so amazing mm-hmm. like I-, I want to pick this up where do i get it thank you um so just on my website, jessicaerlish.com, you can shop through there. So my poetry books are available on Amazon and other online distributors. Uh, with the rainbow in my heart, it's a little bit harder to get at the moment out of New Zealand and Australia, but um, we have had some exciting news that it's actually going to be across bookstores all through the US, not for another year, but you can still order it online. It's just going to come from New Zealand. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. And, and on Instagram, where can people find you? Because you do post some great content there as well. My Instagram handle, uh, Jess Erlish Writer. You'll be able to find Amazing. Me. Jess, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I love this conversation. And we hope Thanks. that you, it's basically, is it Friday for you? or is it's, it? Yeah, it's Friday yeah. at uh, Jeez, like Louise. almost 1. It's it's almost 9 p.m. on Thursday here. Well, freaking enjoy your Friday. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy your weekend. That's amazing. <laughs> enjoy, and happy Thanks, Mother's Day. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you too. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Take care. You Have too. a great afternoon. Bye. Bye-bye. Even during that you know, I had, there were so many times when I felt so emotional and I'm not going to lie. I went back to reading a few of her poems after that and just really just sitting with my feelings and, uh, you know, getting emotional. It's good if, okay, if you're a mom and you just need to let out, you need to have a good cathartic cry, grab go read a, her stuff. Yeah. Grab a bottle of absinthe, <laughs> pour a drink and read some poems. It does make you feel warm though. Oh my gosh. No, I thought you meant her poetry. Oh yes, her poetry and the absinthe itself. <laughs> if you are drinking the absinthe while reading the poetry, it makes you feel very warm and, oh, and smiley. Like a hug. The poetry, the absinthe, all of it like a hug. And mind you, we didn't drink a lot of it, but no hangover afterwards. I mean, yeah, we, ha- we had, I think the most we ever had in one night was two cocktails and no hangover yeah. the next day. Yeah, I don't think you should have too much more than that. No. But uh, let's get to our next guest, Tia Slatum. Now, she is a parenting coach. She has kids herself. She's got two kids, I think, 12 and 10 years old. We were a little late in this interview, so I felt bad. But Yeah, we were having technical issues up the butt. But uh, she definitely turned out to be a great interviewer, especially like you would know, because I had to leave halfway through Mm -hmm. this interview. And when I came back, I was like, how was it? You were like, it was even better after you left. (laughs) I was like, oh. And that's you've, you've done that every time, by the way. Every time I leave... 
you say, oh, it was it was way better after you left. You know, you know what it is, though, because I get so nervous when you leave mid interview to take care of like if Lucy wakes up early from her nap, I always get so nervous. And then I have 60 seconds filled with complete dread. So that no matter how good the interview was prior to that, the feeling of dread just kind of eclipses it. And then I'm just so scared that when I pick up the interview at a better pace, uh, the exact same pace, or even maybe slightly less of an exciting pace than when you were there, it just feels better because the dread makes it feel amazing. That's not what you said before. You Every time it's happened before, you're like, well, when you left, it was just like girl talk. People were <laughs> a little more comfortable, you know, man well, in the Shane, room. I think it's because of the dread feeling and then me just finally feeling comfortable again. Do you know what I mean? No. Oh, fine. Uh, let's get to this interview with Tia right after we tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the coziest bras that you can get your hands on. That's true. And I've made you feel them before too. I've been like, ooh, Shane, this is so buttery soft. Feel it. And then you, you brought it into a read before and threw it in my face. Yeah, well, they do feel soft like butter and they're amazing. And I love Bravado Designs nursing bras. Like Shane said, he introduced me to them and I wore them throughout my nursing journey with Lucy. And then even when I was done nursing, I kept wearing them because they were so comfortable. But lucky for me and lots of other women, they are now making their everyday collection, which have no clips, and you don't have to be a nursing mother to use them. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com, or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code ThisFamilyTree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and ThisFamilyTree20. But now let's get to our interview with Tia Slidem. Tia, yeah, again, apologies and thank you so much for being so patient or at least appearing to be so patient. We are so thrilled to be able to talk to you today. So Tia, you are a, are you a parenting coach, a parenting therapist? Can you kind of describe exactly what you do for us? Yeah, I'm a parenting coach. First and foremost, I'm a mom myself, so I get it. I have two boys who are 12 and almost 10 in June. Yeah, I, I usually coin the term parenting coach, basically helping parents create battle-free days with their kids uh, without having to yell or use empty threats or punishment uh, because it can be done in a much more peaceful way. Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious as to how you kind of developed this and your own parenting, like how you were parented. Did any of that have an impact on how you parent today, whether, you know, showing you, hey, this is this is great. This is an, an example to lead by or, oh, maybe they could have done, you know, something differently. Yeah. So most of us parent based on how we were parented because it's all we know. And a lot of times we have, you know, two parents who parent totally different of each other because they were parented different. So that causes confusion. And so my dad was more authoritarian. He didn't have a great upbringing. He changed the cycle. I never had any abuse in my life. So and I have a great relationship with my dad. Um, and I'm fortunate for that. But he was really, he meant business. And if he said, don't do something, we didn't do it because we weren't quite sure what he was capable of. So we had a little bit of that fear-based parenting. And then my mom, who is like super high pitched and like this, like a basically like the, the wimpiest of all wimps, um, <laughs> would kind of let us get away. With anything. Yeah. So she would come in and like hold the wooden spoon and say, if you don't quiet down, and then she would never do anything with it. So we would <laughs> laugh at her and then she'd leave. So that that's basically how I was raised. And 
I took things from each of my parents that I find true value in. And I'm, I think I'm actually a complete hybrid of the two of them. And then I got my master's in early childhood and I taught kindergarten and I became certified and I kind of grew uh, what I already knew and valued to really kind of fine form what I truly believe parenting can be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because I find that there is a big shift. And I think that a lot of us grew up with, for sure, a father in many cases who was kind of the authoritarian figure. And then maybe a mom who was also strict or maybe a mom who was kind of like, oh, you know, let's just not tell your dad about that. And with people like this, I'm seeing a shift in their parenting. And, you know, they want to they don't want to be the authoritarian figure, but they don't want to have endless battles with their kids. They don't want their kids to have bad behavior. So what do you think is inspiring this? Like this is like a lot of people. I I don't meet anybody who really parents like our parents parented. (laughs) I find you parent like your parents parented. Though. Yeah, my parents are yeah. kind of unique in that. <laughs> I think I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, outside circumstances. Like our environment is different. You know, way back when, a lot of times a mom stayed home and the dad went to work and everybody listened to what the dad said because that was just like kind of the 1950s way. And now we have lots of households with two parents working and lots of moms work. And it's just a different dynamic. Add that with technology And we're just in a whole nother realm of parenting. And so our parents didn't have support. There wasn't courses and coaches. They just kind of flew by the seat of their pants. And now parents are like, ding, ding, ding. Oh, there is a better way. I want to be that kind of parent. What should I do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do you think most parents are struggling with that come to you and, you know, it boils down to behavior, but what exactly is it? Yeah. So I have like a free community group and I have some questions that parents can answer. 99% of the time of thousands of parents in that group is my kids won't listen and I have to yell every single time. So it is not listening and then yelling and then feeling like, I don't know if you swear on here, but feeling like shit after you yell. So that's sort of like the basic gist, which is a huge gray bubble of kids not listening and yelling. There's so many layers that we have to pull back on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, swearing's fine, by the way. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I never know. <laughs> yeah. Is there ever a time or a place to raise your voice or, or yell? No. Immediate never. danger? No. So, so here, okay. So if your child's going to run in the street and you say, stop, yeah. that's yeah. a different type of yell than you get to your room. Mm-hmm. And there's a different type. Like if you're yelling for a safety reason, you're have your, your child's best interest in mind. But if you're yelling to get your point across, the only thing we signal to our kids is I'm bigger, I'm stronger, and you have to do what I say because I'm the grown up. What we do is we role model to our kids that if you're unhappy with somebody or you're bigger than them, that the right way to manage it is through either like spanking or yelling or hitting. And that's not what we want to role model. At the same token, we don't want our kids to fear us because then they're not going to come to you when they make a mistake and they're going to lie and sneak and hide and run away. And that's not our goal either. Mm -hmm. What about um, rewards? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I know. Parents always want to give rewards. Um, I know. Even teachers, when I used to teach, they would give rewards. And I'm like, don't get rewards. So the problem with rewards is the novelty is going to wear off. So let's say, for example, you want your child to stay in bed 
because you've transitioned from crib to toddler bed and you're like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm going to put a sticker chart up. And if they get stickers all week, we're going to go for ice cream or buy them a toy. It's going to be magic. This is going to work. Um, and then what happens is the first two nights they're like, oh, wow, what's this chart? Oh, a sticker. Yay. I did it. I'm so excited. Mom's happy. Dad's happy. And then pretty soon they're kind of crabby or they're not that interested in the sticker or they had a bad day. And they're like, I, I don't care about the sticker. And you're like, oh, shoot. Like, where's my ammunition? If you don't care about the sticker, how do I force my kids to stay in bed? And now we're back in that overpowering mode. So the novelty is going to wear off. And then what? What is your next plan? So I want parents to use action plans that actually create lasting results without you trying to bribe or kind of overpower them to do something. So if there are parents that are listening and they're at the point where they are yelling at their kids because that's the only time their kids will listen to them. Can they reverse this? How do we do that? How do we go back and fix this? Yeah. So what happens with asking nicely or reminding and then getting to that peak of yelling is the fact that our kids are really born with two predetermined jobs. And one of the jobs is to please us, which is awesome. But the second job is contradictory, which is to push boundaries until boundaries are found. So when we ask nicely, we remind, we keep reminding, we start to to lose our patience, and then we yell and we hit that breaking point, our kids have been taught that the boundary is that loud voice. That boundary is when mom or dad have lost it. And now I better listen. Mm -hmm. And they're actually just doing what they've been taught to do. And then we're mad about it because it's not fun and we don't like it. And so, yes, you can 100% reverse it, but we have to change our mindset and our perspective. We can't force our kids to change we have to first shift our parenting, which will automatically shift our child's behavior. And that's really the key place is you have to say, I want to make a change. Mm -hmm. I want to break these habits. I'm ready to do what it takes to do that. But like, is there ever a point where the kid is too far gone in the, okay, I'm only going to respond and I'm going to push boundaries until my parents yell? Like, is there an age or is, is it always reversible? I always say that everything's fixable because kids don't want to be yelled at. Yeah. They, they want to connect with you. They, they want to do the right thing. They're not doing things on purpose. Um, they're just in a cycle that they've been taught to be in. So I have lots of clients who have teenagers and, and things are fixable. Is it easier to start off on the right foot? Yes. Is it easier to make changes when you have toddlers or young school age kids? Yes. Um, but it's not impossible to make changes. Um, and a lot of times parents will say, well, I have kids. This is just what life is like until they move out. Like they're just, this is life with kids. And I'm like, no, this isn't life with kids. And I'm not a unicorn and my boys aren't unicorns, but they're 12 and almost 10. And I, yeah, I have a tween. He's starting to get like his little mustache and he's starting to get a little bit, you know, hormonal and he has his moments, but it's enjoyable every day. And it's, and it's because you have the right tools, foundations, and strategies. That's it. It's 100% learning the skills. Mm -hmm. Do you need to treat the second child differently than the first or do things work differently for a second child or is everything equal for each child? Because I, I, I'm obsessed with birth order now. Hmm. Yeah, birth order does definitely bring a dynamic to parenting 100%, but every child is equal. Every child is equal. So yeah, maybe you're going to give your first child their first cell phone when they're 12 
but then the world evolves and now your 10 and a half year old is going to walk home from school. And so you think they need it. So yeah, maybe they're not going to wait till they're 12. Like things don't have to be exactly the same, but when it comes to having the same expectations and, and the same boundaries, we have to be fair. We can't say you're older and you know better mm-hmm. and then let the little one get away with things because they're the baby. Because every time you do that, the little one, actually, we deplete their power bucket and we say to them, you're not capable. I don't believe in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't want to do that because then they actually act out more. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm the second child and growing up, everything was done for me. Like even mow- mowing the lawn when I was like 15, my mom wouldn't let me touch the lawnmower. So she'd be out there mowing the lawn and I'd be like the man of the house inside playing video games. And I never really developed adult skills. How, how important is it not to coddle your child? Yeah. Well, I, I've seen lots of families, you know, where one child, the first child has these boundaries. They're only allowed video games at certain times. There's expectations, there's follow through. And then with the second one, they do a similar thing to that. What happened to you? And I think it actually does the child a disservice because we have to teach our kids how to be independent, to how to help them be their best version of themselves. And each child's going to be different, but we want to help them. And the way we do that is by building independence and responsibility, building resiliency. So you probably, yeah, you might've moaned about mowing the lawn, but deep down, you'd have liked to have mowed that, mowed that lawn. It would have felt good for you to mow that lawn and it would have showed you that you felt that your parents thought you were capable and that you had accomplished something from start to finish, even something as simple as mowing the lawn. And so we actually do our kids a disservice by coddling them. And we really want to, we want to nurture always like kids need three things every day. They need to be nurtured. They need us to uh, believe in them and we need consistency. And so when we take each one of those pieces away, our kids are going to act out trying to fulfill those pieces. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you didn't have maybe that ability for your mom to really believe in you to do more. And that, that's a hard place for kids. So Shane, should I blame your mom for your inability to do basic home repairs? No, I think that's more of a skill-based thing. Whereas mowing the lawn, anyone can do it. Like yesterday, her dad mowed the lawn for us. <laughs> it was his birthday. So. It was my birthday. But I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. But I was like, yeah, okay, he's a grown-up. He should mow the lawn. I still look at myself as a child because I was so coddled growing up. I'm 38 years old as of yesterday. <laughs> and so it's like, and, and for, for instance, uh, growing up, I never wanted to learn how to drive because I was just like, that's for grown up. So I would always say no when my parents would ask if I wanted to go out and, and drive. And they were cool just to not do that. How do you encourage someone to do something when the child doesn't want to do it, but deep down they do, but they're scared. So they're acting like they don't. Yeah. So you, you were in a pattern where you didn't want to try new things because you hadn't practiced enough to know that if you didn't do it right, it didn't matter. You, you didn't get to practice failing enough. And that's where kids will really be afraid to try new things. So my older son, when he was younger, suffered from anxiety from about 18 months till about nine and a half and going anywhere uh, to school, the same school, same teacher, whether it was basketball, huge, huge, huge meltdown, anxiety attack about that transition. A lot of times parents will say, well, you know what? He just can't handle it. It's too much, you know, and you have to listen to your parenting gut and you have to do what you feel like is right for your child. But I knew he wanted to go. 
I knew once he was there, he was going to love it and that he was going to feel like crap if I put him back in the car and left. So I had to, you know, sweat in all the wrong places and drag in this crying child and say to him, you know, either you put your shoes on and participate and I stay or I'm going to go and you can manage with the coach. And sometimes I had to leave. And when I come back, sure enough, he'd be out there shooting hoops and doing his thing. Happy as can be on the way home, almost like it never happened. And so if we keep, you know, saying it's okay, don't go. No, it's okay if you're afraid. And we don't follow through and help them get over that, that leap, then they have a hard time doing that on their own as adults. And, and mistakes are great. Like we want our kids to make mistakes. We want our kids to to quote unquote fail, uh, because that's where you get back up and you try again. And it doesn't matter if you make a mistake. Like I make mistakes so often. I tell my boys that all the time, uh, lots of mistakes. So yeah, so it, it's just, it's practice. you got to keep practicing it, but your kids are looking for us to do that as their guide, their leader, and their teacher in a, in a nurturing way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And the making mistakes is so cool. Like even uh, we've been potty, nighttime potty training our toddler this week. And she's had two dry nights now. And that's only because she wet the bed for three nights in a row. So then realize yeah. like she's not got a diaper anymore. She has to go. And like that's failing to get better. And one hundred percent. Yeah. And, it, you know, you could bring that into so many different facets of parenting. But one thing that you said that um, I'm curious to dive into a little bit more, you said that parents need a certain set of tools, skills, and an action plan. And, and, and that's really all you need. But as parents – you know, I think of patience as like a skill. I don't know what else. Like what other skills do parents kind of require to be successful? The biggest thing I get is parents saying, Tia, how do I get my child to sleep? How do I get them to eat? How do I get them to stop fighting? How, 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 how? And we all want to fix those hows. And those hows are all fixable. But we can't fix the hows unless we know why the behavior is happening, where the root causes, and where it's what, what it's stemming from. Because every behavior we see is just the surface. It's just the symptom. And so we have to dig deeper. And when we dig deeper, it's not just a quick fix. Do this and your child potty trains. Do this and they'll listen to you. It's really like a layering effect, like a system or a formula. And so the, the skills that I work with parents on is to really understand the what, the where's, and the why's. But at the same token, work on our own emotions so that we can respond without reacting. And all those pieces together are what builds trust for your kids. They believe you when you say something. It's what builds their confidence. It's what builds your connection with your kids. So much of parenting is our language, the way we phrase things and we say things. And I often say to parents, can you guess like the most detrimental two-letter word that we say to our kids? And most of the time, they say no. Yeah. See, most of the time they say no, but actually it's if, like if we think about it, if you don't do this, I'm taking this away. If you don't do that, I'm taking your, no, no birthday party. No, this, if you don't get upstairs, I tell you, I swear to God, I'm going, if, 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 and every time we just say a simple word is if we open the floodgates for a power struggle. Cause they're like, if I don't do what? So then now they're going to battle back with you. I say if every single day. And here's the thing, like when you say if, I, I don't I don't always use it in a negative way. It's like a, like um if you don't do this, you're not getting this. It's if in a positive but equally detrimental way, like Rewarding if you do way. this, yeah, I'll give you this. If you, you know, are nice to this neighbor and say hi, then I'll give you a bite of a cookie when we get home. Yeah. So that that is 
a quick band-aid fix. Mm -hmm. That's using like bribery or reward to try and get them to do what you want. So that's an extrinsic drive. So they're going to be driven by the cookie, not by what we want them to be driven by, which is that it feels really good to say hello to the neighbor and Mm -hmm. learn to shake a hand and look somebody in the eye. Um, And so you can simply change your language and your setup for something as simple as that to when. So when we go over and say hi to the neighbors, then we'll go home and we'll have our snack or our cookies and and don't have it as if they do that. But if you set it up like it's a bribery, you're always going to be in a power struggle and you're always going to have to up the ante. And it's in that's where parenting gets really exhausting. So how can parents hone their skills? You know, if, if we need this certain set, like if it's a struggle for parents, and I know it is for so many people because that's kind of inherently the way they are, or like you said earlier, the way they were raised, like, is this something that we just do by doing it over and over again? Or is there a point where maybe parents that are really struggling with conflict resolution or something like that, should they kind of take a step out and get help from like a therapist or something? Yeah. So I always say we want to check off our boxes. So sometimes parents will say to me, well, I think my child has ADHD or ODD or I need to go see a psychologist. And a lot of times I work with a psychologist here in Toronto and she'll refer to me and I'll refer to her and she'll say, no, the parents need help. Um, And what happens is we want to think that our kids can be fixed. But what happens is nothing's going to change even at that therapist office with your child unless you've checked off your boxes. So I always say to parents, if you're struggling, you're feeling frustrated, it's hard, it's a grind, that's a red flag that there's an easier way. Like Mm -hmm. it really can be battle free. It doesn't mean our kids aren't going to have emotions and they're not going to push back, but you're going to know how to handle it so that it's very minimal and it's done in a non-combative way. So once you check your boxes and you've said, gosh, I've really gotten great. I'm not yelling. I'm not giving reminders. I've set my child up for success. And you go through, um, whether you, you work with me or another coach to, you know, go through my program and really learn all your skills. And then you have one area, maybe your child's still very anxious, or maybe your child still worries more than you think is normal. You can say, gosh, we've had so many improvements in all of these areas, but my child needs my support here. Mm -hmm. So we're grasping at straws if we don't take this take the stance to kind of work on ourselves first. Yeah. The the problem for us right now is like we've had other experts on and they say don't do the reward system. But in the short term right now, it is working for us. And she isn't upping the ante that much. But I'm just worried we're creating bad habits. Yeah. And then once Lou just turned, uh, we share the same birthday. So she turned three yesterday. And I think she's going to um, get smarter. And then uh, we've already instilled these bad habits and we think it's working. And then it's like, oh, how do we change these habits? And then if I take a course, it's going to take too much time. Wh- what is the the commitment, you think, for parents who think they just don't have the time to to take a course? Like what, what does a course look like? Yeah. So my course is the parenting with purpose method and it's a 12 week, like systematic step-by-step course designed for busy parents. So parents will say, just like you said, I don't have the bandwidth. I'm too busy. It's COVID. It's this, it's that there's always an excuse. There's never a perfect time to add anything to our plate. That's life. But what I'll often say is if you took even two days and you wrote down every single time you had to give bribery, yell, timeouts, wasted time because your kids wouldn't go to bed or wouldn't eat or they were fighting, how many minutes or even hours are you spending dealing with your kids? 
it will be way more than what you're putting into the course. Yeah, so once you start learning the skills and the way my program's designed is that you really do it one module a week. We break it down step by step. And when you go through the module, I give you action tasks to implement in your home. So if we're going through positive parenting module and you're learning about the difference between punishment and discipline and what that effect has on your child, your parenting approach, the effect that has on your child, I'm going to give you really actionable steps and walk you through how to do that. So each week you're taking out an ineffective strategy and you're transferring or in an effective strategy. So you're not really adding more to your plate. You're really saving time and energy as you go, knowing that you're not guessing, is this the right thing or the wrong thing? Oh, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? It's really just like, do it, get it done and it will work. And it works every single time. How long does it usually take for the child to acclimate to the parent's habit changing. For example, let's say we give Lucy a, a cookie every time she has a bath. And then we're like, no, that's a reward system. We're not doing that anymore. And she just doesn't want to have a bath. How long is like a, a hellish period typically going to last before they realize there's a new sheriff in town type of deal? Yeah. So definitely they start to push back a little bit. At first, it's like glory days. They're like, oh, mom and dad seem more calm. It's like, they're not yelling. Things are starting to get better. And then when they're used to like having free reign and running the roost, there becomes that point where they want to push back. If you're consistent and you've set it up in a mutual respect way, like we do, if you just stay consistent, they get past that because remember they're born pushing boundaries till boundaries are found and that's their job. And as soon as you really stick to it, they're done in terms of the cookie in the bath. A lot of it's set up. We don't just want to like cold turkey say, oh, I've changed my mind now. That's not really fair. So maybe she has a cookie when she's done the bath. When you're done your bath, then we have our cookie time. And if you want to give a cookie every night because that's your that's your system, great. Give a cookie every night. I, I serve dessert every night. And so that it's just about your language and about your setup. Right now, I don't think you guys are doing so many things wrong because of your bribery and rewards. I just think we need to change a couple of things so that it's effective for you and you don't create those habits. Do you ever meet parents who are resistant to change because they think, well, my child's behavior, it can't be because of how I'm reacting to it. Like chicken and egg theory, I'm reacting this way and I'm yelling because of their behavior and because I've tried so many times to be patient, to you know, not do these things, and I just don't have the time or the patience or the energy anymore. So how often do you see that? Because I, in just conversations with friends, with other moms, in playgroups, things like that, I, I see that a lot. Yeah, we're, we're resistant because we don't want to admit that we might not be doing things right. It's mm. nobody wants to admit that. And so sometimes we think that asking for help is a fault. Like it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a weakness, but it's actually, I, I say to parents all the time, you know, if you were on stage in front of the whole world and they said, you know, can you perform heart surgery? You would just say no, like, and you wouldn't be embarrassed <laughs> yeah. and you wouldn't care. You'd just be like, no, I haven't gone to medical school. I haven't, you know, done residency. I can't do that. But if somebody says to you, you know, why can't you get your kid to leave the park? you're like panicked and you're like, oh my God, I'm failing. I suck at this. Like, I don't know what to do. This is embarrassing. And their behavior is a direct reflection on you, which decreases your confidence. And so we, we sometimes need to just say to ourselves, it's not my fault that I don't have it figured out because parenting is a learned skill and I just haven't taken time to learn it. So either I can complain about it and stay in my cycles 
or I can stop complaining and do something about it. And no matter what, when parents work with me one-on-one or they go through my program, they always have results. They Mm. always make changes because it's not rocket science. I'm not asking you to like fly to the moon. I'm asking you to change some small things so that you can create lasting habits with long-term results. So, you know, in your opinion, because you mentioned the word right, like in where you stand, is there a right way and a wrong way to parent? In, in my opinion, I feel like if you're using punishment tactics, you know, wrong might not be the politically correct word to use or right, um, effective, ineffective. But yeah, so there's a more effective way um, mm-hmm. that's going to keep your relationship strong and keep your kids wanting to be close to you. Um, if we use punishment tactics, which are going to be ineffective, it's, it's going to weaken your relationship and they're going to act out more. So effective is probably the, the proper word to use versus right or wrong. But, you know, everybody thinks their way is the right way. And, and if they're feeling really good about it and it's working for them and they feel happy about things, then I'm not here to tell anybody to make changes. Like nothing's a problem for me unless it's a problem for you. And I'm happy to help. Okay, Tia, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on some asking tape. From there, Mabel's Labels has grown to be an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and dads and kids alike. Thank you. You're welcome. And do you know what I love the best about these labels? What? They got a 100% guarantee, and they are indestructible, and they actually stick to the things you want them to be on. Yes, they are so durable. So they're laundry, dishwasher, microwave safe, and like Shane said, 100% guaranteed. Their line of products features things like baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. So we recently got a camp kit with like goggles, towels, lots of things for camp, and it's so cute. One of Lucy's favorite things about Mabel's labels is that she can go online with me and help design all of the labels she's going to use so kids can really take ownership in their things that you give them. So head on over to mabelslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the US. Again, that's mabelslabels.ca and thisfamilytree15. But now let's get back to our interview with Tia. And I, I think of effectiveness, like I think from the super authoritarian father figure from, you know, when we were younger to maybe like the super lax hippie parents that you might see really in any decade, you know, they're going to think each is going to think that they are doing things effectively or they're doing things right. And it's going to be so hard for them to kind of get themselves in a different mindset where they think, oh, you know, I, I don't even want to try that way. And I think like even if it is working for them and even if parents, you know, go through a course and they really sit down and reflect on their parenting, they're always going to be hit with a time or a situation in which they kind of feel like they're going back to square one, whether it's dealing with the teenage years or just dealing with, you know, an emotion from their child that they were never really prepared to handle. So if parents like I know whenever I'm hit like something like that, I I feel so overwhelmed and I feel so inadequate. So when we get to that spot, what should we do as parents to kind of help us guide ourselves through it? Yeah, I guess you have to kind of reflect and ask yourself, do I feel like there's more I could do? Is it out of my control? Is it out of my knowledge base at this point? Because we are going to get, we're going to be taken aback if we don't feel equipped. And so I, 
kids, parents who say, my kids were like angels. And then the teenage years hit, (laughs) if they really reflected all the way back, what were the patterns? What were the things that were happening? Because as our kids grow, the problems grow and they become more independent and they don't want to be told what to do. And, and it's, it would be really interesting always to do a science experiment and be able to watch somebody all the way through who says that. Uh, because if you're feeling like you're taken aback, it just means you don't have the skills. So again, reflect, do you want to have those skills? Do you not want to have those skills? Um, and again, that's everybody's choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really good. And there's something that came across the other day. It was on TikTok, I think. And I, I've come across this kind of method, I guess, before for dealing with older kids and bigger, more serious issues. And that is, you know, you have a talk with your kids at whatever age and you say, okay, if you're ever in trouble, if you ever need to get out of a situation fast, you just text me this word or something like a safe word and I, tell me where you are and I will come and get you, take you home, no questions asked. Now, a part of me thinks, oh, wow, like that is so effective. That's so great because then the kid is truly going to feel safe and they are going to take advantage of that and they will use that. But then the other part of me as a parent, see, that that's like the kid brain in me, you know, but then as a parent, I think no questions asked, like what if there's something else I can help them with here that they're not even thinking to talk about? What if this is something that really needs to be looked at? What if they need more help than I think they do? So is that a good strategy? It is a good strategy because if we use a, the opposing strategy, which is, you know, if I find out you're at this party and you're doing this, then, you know, you're grounded or you're not going to be able to drive. Well, they're never going to come to you and they're not going to tell you if they're in trouble. They're not going to come to you if they're scared because they're going to fear the punishment. Whereas if you're a disciplinarian parent and use positive discipline and you say no questions asked, like your safety is number one and I'm always on your team, like call me any time of the day, give me the message. We're going to go home and that's it. The key is, is that when they feel that and they actually do that, they will open up to you. They will be like, okay, that mom or dad is my safety blanket. And they will, they might not open up that night. They might not open up the next day, but there will be an opportunity for you to have a conversation because you left that open. Whereas if you're using punishment, it's you against them. You're always your child's opponent instead of their teammate. Well, I saw that a lot too with friends growing up. You know, some of my friends that had really strict parents, they kind of like went totally, not even kind of, they went totally wild in university and in college and things like that, like really wild. And is, can that actually be like, I always just said, oh, it's because their parents were so strict. Like I'd make that joke, but is that a thing? It's a thing. Yeah. So we basically just hold them down and hold them down and hold them down. And when they get freedom, they don't know how to manage themselves. There's no self-management skills. They don't know, you know, really what they can handle, what they can't handle. They haven't had time to practice those things. So we want to give them, you know, ample opportunities to build their independence, to have more freedom to, you know, it's like sugar and sweets. Parents who say no to dessert all the time, and it's like an all or nothing, and they hold it under their thumb. Oh, you can just have dessert when we go out to dinner, and it's once in a blue moon. Kids don't know how to manage it because when they get it, it's so good. And then they go to friends' (laughs) houses and they like inhale the junk drawer. Whereas I serve dessert every night. And lots of times my kids, you know, outside of COVID would go to birthday parties and 
they take one bite of cake and then go back out and play. And other kids are like inhaling it because they're not going to get it again. And so we really want to have everything in moderation and, and teach our kids to build their independent skills. Yeah, no, that reminds me, I, I had a cousin and I don't think she listens to this podcast, so I think we're good, but she she didn't give any of her children sugar, which is great. That's a choice. I, I didn't give my sugar before a, a certain age, but hers were like eight years old and they had never had sugar. And I had them over at my house one day and I, I asked for permission if we could make cupcakes together. And she said, okay, like you guys can do that. But I, I didn't know, I was like, I don't know, 18. I didn't know there was a limit on cupcakes they could have. So these kids inhaled the whole thing. They're licking the bowls. They're going off the wall. And like I created demons for her for a little bit. So that wasn't totally on me because I felt so guilty about that. Oh, that wasn't on you. You don't need to feel guilty on. No, you don't need to feel guilty. But that's what happens. They're literally like out of body experiences. And so your friend or whatever that went to university, it was like freedom. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired of being in underneath my parents' thumb. But now I can actually, you know, live. And Mm -hmm. that's when that's when accidents happen and things get kind of scary. And, you know, Thinking about this kind of parenting or, um, you know, when you don't allow your kids any freedom, when you don't let them sample different things, whatever, I think of technology and I think of how I want to proceed. I mean, we still have years to go, but how I want to proceed with technology and with personal devices like cell phones, like tablets. Like, obviously, our kids don't have cell phones. We have a three-year-old and a 10-month-old, but like they don't – our three-year-old doesn't have a tablet. She's never been on one. And I know that parents are giving their children cell phones younger and younger as a safety help, you know, a safety net, I guess. I I never had that. Obviously, my parents never had that. And my dad, as an eight-year-old, was like riding his own bike to baseball practice, you know, an hour outside of the city. And how do we draw lines there? And how, even as parents, because I must, I imagine you're dealing with that right now with the age that your kids are. So how do you approach technology-related freedoms? Yeah, so it's it's about involving your kids. So the more involved your kids are, the more invested they will be. So at a certain age, you want to involve them in your plans and your boundaries. And so for me, like Hudson, who's 12, he and one other boy are the only two boys in all of grade six who don't have cell phones. No way, okay. Yeah, he's the only, he's the only one. Now, if COVID wouldn't have happened, he was going to walk for the first time to two competitive swim practices that were just a couple blocks away. Mm-hmm. At that point, I would have given him a cell phone so he could text me and say, the coach is here. I'm getting in the pool. I need to know that he got there. And so it's a need to have, not a nice to have. I think so many times now our world is like, it's nice to have it. My friends have it. My older sister has it. And it's a dangerous thing with yeah, oh social media. It is a dangerous thing. And so uh, I think if we're not building responsibility and independence in small things like turning off your video game when it's time at home and them following that boundary and expectation, how can we give them a cell phone and trust that they're going to do the right things and stay off of the things that they should stay off of? And so that's where parents are really shooting themselves in the foot is they're not doing all the positive parenting techniques to build to that level of responsibility. And then we give them this device and now it's out of control. Um, And that's why each thing we're doing, even with your three-year-old, every single thing that you're doing now builds to what happens later. And sometimes I think parents think, oh, I'll just worry about it later. Um, But that's really not what we want to do. We want to put our work in now so that everything else is easier. And, 
you know, when it's putting into work, again, with technology, like things like social media, I get so worried about Instagram, about Snapchat, just, and here's the thing, like I, I run a motherhood account, I run a parenthood podcast. So I, I put my children on social media. If Lucy doesn't want a photo taken over and she tells me, then I won't take the photo. But I do put their images out there. However, obviously I'm controlling it. I'm controlling very strictly what people will be seeing. However, when a kid who's like 15, I think, is the age where you can finally get on Instagram, unless you're lying about your age or something, they, I made a lot of dumb mistakes as a 15-year-old. I had a lot of bad judgment. You trust people you shouldn't trust. You don't know how to manage social situations. So how do you approach that without totally restricting but allowing enough lenience for them to learn safely on their own. Yeah, I think, again, it's so much of what you've taught them up until that point. And then when that point happens, you kind of have to listen to your gut. Are they ready? Are they not ready? And what are they ready for? And and sometimes parents need like a daily check-in. Like we're going to, you're going to have the device, but we're going to have a daily check-in on these things to make sure you're safe. And if you want the device, then that's, you know, that's the plan. Mm -hmm. Other kids, like you can really trust. Like I, I really, really trust my 12 year old. I don't know. I don't think I need a check-in until he gives me a reason to need a check-in when he gets a phone, then I don't need that. But every situation will be different based Mm -hmm. on what you've done leading up to that point. Yeah, even just thinking about this and like thinking that far into the future is making me sweat, honestly. Like I hate the idea of this stuff. And even if there were check-ins, I'm scared of what you might see. Like I know, that, I know. does that stress you out? It's very scary. So even for my youngest, when he was seven, like this is awful. He was seven and they have their iPad for quiet time on the mm. weekend after they do their silent reading, they can watch for 30 minutes. And my husband always looks at yachts. He like loves (laughs) to look at big yachts. And so he had tried to look up yacht images. So he went like did uh, private boats is what he tried to put in. So when he put in private boats, right underneath of it, it said private parts. (laughs) (laughs) And then private parts went to images And images went to videos and videos went to porn. And I I mean, honestly, I was like, I had the worst guilt because Mm -hmm. first of all, I do this for my living, for a living and my child's watching porn. Like what (laughs) the hell? I said to to my husband, I'm like, you are never going to believe what happened today. This is so awful. I feel like I need like. It was awful. I'm like, I feel like I need to dunk him into like a sacred water bath or something like this is so gross. And so then I had to kind of ask him, you know, because I came in and he closed it and he knew, he knew it wasn't Mm -hmm. right. And so then I I just said to him, you know, when you're ready to talk about it, you let me know. And he, and then I said to him, why don't you write it down? So he wrote on a little sticky note, privet parts, P-R-I-V-E-T, privet parts. And then I said, okay, so can you show me? And then he walked me through it. And he felt so gross and he didn't have any questions at the time. But I, the next morning I said, you know what, do you have some questions? Mm -hmm. He's like, 
why do they do that? And I said, I know, I know, I know. Why do you have to have this conversation at seven? And so this is where we have to be so, so careful. I trust now he doesn't do that. I know Mm -hmm. that we had an open conversation. A lot of times parents who don't have the skills and the foundation would come in and say, that's it. No iPad for a week. I can't believe you did that. And then they punish them. But that wasn't a neat, that wasn't what we needed to solve. The root of the problem was we needed to talk about internet safety and where we go and why that's important. Absolutely. Well, internet safety is huge. And then the other thing too is honestly, kids have curiosity. They're curious. Like I remember my girlfriends and I like in elementary school, like young, young, like grade two. I mean, there was, I don't even know if any of us had a computer at that point at our homes, but like we'd have the uh, like anatomy books or what are you called? What are the books? Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm pulling a blank. I need another coffee. Like yeah, encyclopedias. We'd have like an encyclopedia and we'd look up penis or vagina and we'd look at the picture beside it and we'd be giggling. And that was like the equivalent, I think, of, you know, for how easy it was to access and for the fact that it satiates our curiosity right? It just looks different now. And the access that kids have to stuff that is beyond scientific beyond. Mm-hmm. is just there's so much of it. And that is yeah. scary. Is right. is that a big concern for parents? Like, do you hear that often? Or You know what? I do hear it often, but I, I think parents are struggling so much with the day-to-day that they can't even compartmentalize where they're actually struggling most. It's just that it sucks to be a parent. Like that's <laughs> That's literally that is that I have heard that phrase. It sucks to be a parent. I hate it. I wish I wasn't. I I don't want to feel like this. How can I change it? I think it's just such an overwhelming cloud of everything that they're not really compartmentalizing. Uh, They're not in the right mindset to think about all the the things that they need to think about until they solve those challenges up front. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've heard that, too, from people recently, especially during COVID, being at home with your family with no outlet for anything, but whether it is not – maybe a little bit of resentment, truly, towards parenting, not towards their kids, but towards parenting, or just not disliking it but not loving it either, this weird middle ground. Can they pull themselves out of that? Like, is that a phase or is that, you know, just the way that some people do perceive it? Yeah, I think COVID has put us all in a really hard place. So if you're feeling down one day and you're not really loving doing the mom thing or the dad thing, oh, well, like that's okay. Give yourself grace. Um, and we can't go out and see friends. We can't do anything. There's no outlets. Our kids are on screens more than we like because there's nothing else to do. Like, we have to give ourselves a little bit of grace, but we also don't want to come out of COVID with so many bad habits that mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, how do we go back into regular life? Yeah. And so I've been so busy over COVID, which has been awesome because I'm seeing parents who are like, I'm ready to like do this and I'm ready to make changes. And what, <laughs> yeah. bet, what better time than when you're literally stuck at home and you can practice them? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Anyhow, Tia, sorry Shane didn't come back. I'm think I think this is a, a potty training thing. Lucy may have pooped the bed. But oh, no problem. <laughs> probably, honestly, I don't think she did, but it could have since I just spoke of it. That's how things happen, right? <laughs> I give her the props for not wetting the bed. She probably did it. But Tia, where can listeners go to check you out online to get their hands on your course? I know you have a great TikTok account, uh, but where where can they find you online? 
Yeah. So my website is tslightum.com. And I have everything on there, free guides, one evening workshops, my program, one-on-one coaching. There's so many options for parents who want to dive all in or parents who want to dip their toes Mm -hmm. in. There's something for everybody. That's awesome. That's And on Instagram. Oh, on Instagram, I'm at Tia Parenting Coach. And then I do have a private Facebook community, which is Simple Parenting Solutions. So I do live coaching, uh, free coaching on Mondays. And then Thursdays, normally at one o'clock, I do an AMA, um, Ask Me Anything, where parents can get their questions answered. Yes, I I was going to say that. I love how you do that. And I love that it's live because honestly, like if people were to go follow you, and I encourage that those listening do, you know, if they have a question that day that they are struggling with, it's such a great way to get some good educated feedback on it. So I do love that you do that. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And some parents can't afford anything Mm -hmm. and I don't want them to feel like they can't make some changes. Yes. So definitely my website, there's a blog on there, Instagram, TikTok, my Facebook community, Mm -hmm. like Follow me everywhere and I can fill your your toolbox. <laughs> That's awesome. Tia, thank you so much for joining both of us today. Yeah. And again, sorry for that rocky start. That's Terrible okay. computer stuff, but really appreciate your, uh, your being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Anytime, I'd love to be back. See, I loved the conversation when it came down to internet safety. I thought that she handled it in such a real way. And I I love that we kind of went down that path because that wasn't on the agenda for me. And I don't think for her. And her responses in regards to it, like you could see the mom side of her and you could see the professional side of her and how she kind of applies everything to her own life. And I really, I just really appreciated having that conversation as mothers, but you know, where one mother is like, you know, knowledgeable in how to act in these situations. So I thought it was great and I learned so much from that. And even though we don't have kids that are going through that kind of thing yet, it's just a lot to kind of keep in the old memory bank, you know? Well, what I like in my memory bank is this next segment. Oh, Is that a good segue? It's good enough. I thought you were gonna say visions of me. Visions of you answering questions. This is the mailbag segment where listeners just like you have submitted questions and Alex is going to answer them. And not just out of her brain. No, she's gone online. She's read books. She's researched it. So anything she says is factual. I'm going to sit back and enjoy the ride. And maybe I'll chime in with some of my own thoughts. Well, a few are directed, or one at least is directed only to you. So you're going to be chiming in. First question. Let me paint this picture for you, Shane. The house is on fire, but the family is safe. What three things are you saving from the flames? I'll answer first because I had time to think. First, I'd save like our memory bench box thing. So Shane and I have this, you know, storage bench at the end of our bed where we keep our photo albums and our cards to each other and just any important thing for nostalgia. You know what I mean? How strong are you in this scenario? Well, I'm hoping that you can help me or I'll just grab a big handful of memory box stuff to take with us. a big bench. <laughs> Next, I take my sleeper dresses. I only got three. I can can that be all one item? Sure. Yeah. All yeah. right. And lastly, I will take my laptop. No story about the laptop. No, it's just useful thing. I I could use that. It has a book on it that may never well, be released Shane, or worked on ever again. Oh my god! No, it. I cannot talk about this right now. Why? Because it stresses me out every single day. What's every wrong? single day, I think about it. I need. I, I need to create more time again and I need to start prioritizing that again because I th- trust me it's it's in my thoughts the first 10 minutes every single day in the last 10 minutes 
every single night before I go to bed. And I, I just spend time thinking about it. And I'm I getting haven't... jealous of this book that's never going to be released. <laughs> Which I was occupying as much as your mind of your of your mind. Oh, you are. And it's just it's so frustrating because I haven't I've been prioritizing other things for the past while and I have just kind of been letting it sit and I feel like I need to I don't know create some kind of workspace in the home where we have Nona living with us my parents take Lucy to the cottage or something and then Nona can watch Betty and I could just book work from you know 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. So, Alex, my life as a mom coming out in 2027. <laughs> Get out of here. No, ideally, ideally, I honestly, I, I think I can still do it and I think I can complete it because I do work well under pressure, but I want to complete it for the end of the summer. Okay, I'm going to take the PlayStation, what else? My computer and what do I like? My Allen Iverson shoes. Mm, that's good. And the PlayStation is a great take because that has Netflix. It has our fun video game. And it has, what, Prime and Disney? Like, <laughs> But I guess, like, you know what I mean? It's only worth 200 and something bucks. Yeah, it doesn't matter, though, because then it's like the first night out of the house. We don't have a house anymore. So wherever we're staying, at least we can put Disney on for the kids, make them feel better with Bambi or something. You know what I mean? I'm sure any hotel has Netflix. Yeah, but then you and I are going to be super sad. And what's going to make us feel better the day after our house gets burned down than playing our favorite video game? And you can't get that in a hotel. I know, but we could just buy it the next day with money, insurance money from the fire. <laughs> All right, next question. What is your favorite thing about having a podcast and your least favorite? So my favorite thing is sitting down with Shane and going through questions and reconnecting over these questions that I don't know that we would typically ask each other. And I think it's so much fun and it really gives it a datey vibe and it gives it like just a really fun feel to our night. My least favorite thing is the amount of time it takes Shane to be editing, emailing, you know, our sponsors, emailing partners and all of that and that is super hard because obviously ultimately the only thing I want is for our family to have a ton of time together so it's hard when the thing that you're doing to make the time is also taking the time away yeah the booking guests the business aspect yeah. it's the, exhausting. the amount of time like if you're thinking of starting a podcast and you just want to chat with your friends go for it but if you want to make it a business and get guests that are very sought after Whew. <laughs> you're gonna have to invest some serious time and it's going to take a, a couple of years off your life <laughs> Shane is sweating as he's saying Espe this well especially during the the panty with no kids in daycare and you know two children and a full another full-time job and adding date night podcasts I thought would add so much stress but it's actually brought me so much joy so that's one of the favorite Aww. things is the date night podcast it's such a fun chat and it's stress-free because we don't have to book a guest mm -hmm. and we just I don't know, go over old stories. And when, when else are you going to just go over your old honeymoon stories or funny little things that happened to you? And it's, it is fun telling it to someone too, mm. not just talking to yourself. We're talking to this guest that we never get to meet and it's fun to do. Overall, it's, it's well worth it or else we wouldn't do it. But mm. I mean, it's uh, quite the undertaking. <laughs> to put it uh, lightly. Okay. Our next question. Have you tried getting Chrissy Teigen on the pod? So I have mentioned many times how she was my number one pod, you know, get. I would love to have her. 
there's been major drama with her this week. Some really awful things that she had said in the past over Twitter have come out, resurfaced, and yeah, they're super awful. So, you know, do we get her on the apology tour? I don't know. No, our luck, we would have booked her. Next day, this would have happened. And we would <laughs> yeah. have gotten a million messages like, hello, Chrissy's canceled. Why don't you take her down? Like, we've had... <laughs> get Like, when we have a guest on, there is a 98% chance the next day they're going to get canceled. This has happened with uh, several guests. We have three guests who we have never been able to air their episode, and then a couple more who we've had to go in retroactively take down their episodes because of problematic stuff even though you know on obviously on our podcast we're talking about parenting we're not talking about any of the stuff (laughs) it's just it's uh, it's tough but yeah chrissy teigen by the way we have not messaged because we have this paperclip theory and that is you keep trading up until you get the big fish so i would hate to go for someone really sought after like chrissy until we had gotten to a certain level of let's just say an armchair expert Mm -hmm. a a wtf mark maron podcast style because without that they're just going to say no oh exactly they won't even give you a second thought that being said we have a pretty good ratio for people saying yes but we have been doing everything very strategically Mm -hmm. next question shane this is for you shane what is the best thing about sharing a birthday with your daughter the best well my birthday always came so close to Mother's Day. Every four years, it is on Mother's Day. Now it's actually reclaimed my birthday. Because when you have two birthdays on a Mother's Day, and one of it's like from a little <laughs> cute baby girl, all of a sudden, everyone's got to make the birthday a thing. So now my birthday is kind of back. <laughs> and this year, it was the furthest it could be away from Mother's Day, which is the Wednesday. So this year really felt like a birthday. This was mm-hmm. the like I was telling you the day after. I'm already nostalgic for my birthday because it was such a fun birthday this year. And Lucy just makes it like I've never felt good on my birthday until I started sharing it with Lucy. I've had terrible birthdays. <laughs> and she just makes it so much fun. And she gets to say, happy birthday, daddy. And that, that was what she said last year on her second. But I show her this video of her saying it when she turned two and I turned 37. And now that she's three and has a much better way of talking that's a little less cute and more grown up, I guess, and more like a toddler, she still says, Daddy, happy birthday, because <laughs> she's imitating us. She's it. But it's just so cute. It's so fun. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's like, what are the odds? The odds are one in 365, mm-hmm. I guess. So it's pretty special. No, and I, I like that she says that because she knows it makes you smile. So I love that she does it to make you smile because you think it's cute or you're nostalgic for it, whatever. Like she's very perceptive that way. Yeah, and being a dad, you want to be as close to your kids as possible. And what's that just brings you that one step closer, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's super cute. It's super cute. And you guys getting to do things like blow the candles together and everything like that is the most adorable thing yeah, and she's Ever. more clingy on her birthday to me. Yeah. Like she just grabs me more, and she's like, "It's our birthday," and like, yeah, because yeah, she knows she knows your birthday buddies, and it's like such a vibe. Like everybody is worshiping you two all day, and it's like you guys are, you know, the seats of power together. It's fun. All right, next question: Is it better to have a kid in your twenties, your thirties, or your forties? So Shane, before I get to my researched answer, do you have an opinion or a guess? This is just a vote on my preference is 30s, 20s, have fun. And by the way, this is just my my vote, like do whatever you want. But 
you have fun in your 20s, you settle down in your 30s, and then in your 40s, they're either leaving the house or they're nearing leaving the house, and you can kind of relax and start preparing for that sweet retirement life. (laughs) All right, so I got my answer from Healthline.com. They had a great article on it. But experts say that the best time to get pregnant is between your late 20s and early 30s. So this is for women, I guess because you guess I don't think men can get pregnant (laughs) no but I mean like as a couple you know how people say oh the couple is pregnant or whatever okay but for women the best time to get pregnant is between your late 20s and early 30s the age range is associated with the best outcomes for you and the baby which is obvious and one study actually pinpointed the ideal age to give birth and again this is one study don't take this as anything but 30.5 so 30 and a half years old Hmm. Which I was, what, how old was I when I gave birth? 30. I was like 30.5. I think I was like 30.3. But yeah. A little early. A little early. (laughs) That explains a lot. Yeah. And I think that Shane, in regards to what you said, I think it's so smart too. Because typically in your 30s, you are at least more financially stable than you are in your 20s, you know, on average. And I think that obviously that is very helpful or at least... In a lot of cases, again, not all, but you are likely, you know, already on your career path. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's helpful. But I found the average age that U.S. women have babies is, take a guess. 24. 27. Hmm. Yeah. Nowadays. It, it probably was 24, but it's 27 now. All right. Our next question. Shane. This is another Shane question. What's the Mike on Much podcast? Is Alex on it? <laughs> so i'm assuming this person is not a fan of mike on much so yeah alex is on it sometimes she's certainly on it in the sense that i talk about her in our relationship a lot alex doesn't listen to the podcast so she wouldn't know i used to yeah so before the pandemic before the pandemic so it's gotten worse since the pandemic in other words but <laughs> mike on much is a podcast that i used to work at a place called much music i still do but now it's called much and it's like the mtv of canada and they had a podcast that like their official podcast that is hosted by my best friend, Mike Veerman. And so his name's Mike. It's Mike on much. He's just this great host, this great interviewer. And he decided to start it with Max Kerman, who's lead singer of Arkells, which in Canada, it's a very popular band. So they decided to bring me on in more of a tertiary role to come in at the end and review movies. (laughs) But before I knew it, I was just telling weird stories and I became more like one of the three musketeers in the end and i get my own little segment and we chat about everything and it's just a fun chat show with interviews like there's been noel gallagher on the show and some very big guests leon bridges leon bridges who? sting sting was on yeah oh like my it, this is huge shane yeah it's a, it's a very big cool podcast with very talented people and i'm just the goofball of the bunch and didn't you guys have scott whalen's last interview one of them yeah that mm-hmm. was very sad that was very sad. Uh, very interesting. But no, it's a great podcast. And the only reason I haven't listened to it since the beginning of the pandemic is because I'd always listen to it on my way to work and on my way home from work. And I ain't going to work anymore. So I uh, don't have time in the day to listen to it. So it's it's tough, but it's a great podcast. And I can guarantee you'll like it uh, if you are looking for something to listen to. And it's there's also a show on Crave of the same name, Mike on Much. If you're in Canada, Crave is like our Netflix we also have Netflix, but it's like Netflix. And uh, just search Mike on Much, and there's eight episodes. And Alex is actually in a couple of the episodes. And Lucy. 
Lucy's in it too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do a, like a little cooking show skit with Hayden Christensen, which is pretty fun. Oh, that was the best. Okay, so our next question. How often are couples with kids having sex? So I did some research and it was hard because all the research I was doing was like opinion columns and things like that. But I eventually found one and the stats are from Natalie Rosen, who's a clinical psychologist at Dalhousie University in in Canada. So about 28.3% of couples that have kids have sex at least once a week and 22.6 say two times a week. So the majority is between one and two times a week, and I think that is very much the norm. Uh, But Natalie Rosen says that over the course of your first year postpartum, so if you just had your baby, that sexual functioning, so things like desire, arousal, orgasm, and pain, they go back up. But at 12 months postpartum, it's still lower than average than pre-pregnancy. So you your sexual functioning would have been better pre-pregnancy for the first year postpartum, but it does typically go back to normal. But over 90% of new parents report that they have started having sex again at three months postpartum. And almost 50% of new fathers and 35% of new mothers report feeling sexually dissatisfied at six months post baby. So dissatisfied for a lot of reasons, either they're not having it enough or possibly on the mother's part, experiencing pain from childbirth. Well, these people should speak for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we don't stop. In fact, if you hear panting, (laughs) (laughs) all right, continue. So for some... uh, For (laughs) some... Alex... For some people, maintaining a sex life For is some people. part of how they still connect as a couple, separate from, you know, being parents. Just like Shane and I, you know, we have a date night, so we have an identity separate from just parenting. But for others, and honestly, I know lots of people in this situation, we've been in this situation, it's just less important because they have so much other stuff to focus on, and they f- you feel so solid in your relationship anyway that it's not something that needs to be done to feel love or feel like you're giving love you know what I mean so really it's only a problem if you think it's a problem but yeah if you just had kids and you're worried about this kind of thing don't worry start doing date nights and it'll you'll get back to normal eventually you know all right next question what is your favorite ritual in your daily routine oh, coffee you know I like, can't say it enough coffee's the best thing we do we have this what's this thing called the french press we have a big old french press that we bought is very expensive from Starbucks. It's stainless steel. It's beautiful. It's not Starbucks brand, but they just sold it. Yeah. I just went to Starbucks. I said, I need the most expensive fresh <laughs> French press you have because I need it to be good. And yeah, it's the best investment and it keeps the coffee hot for hours. Like yeah. if, if we didn't touch the coffee for five hours, it would still be hot. And uh, I like that. And it's fun. And we get these special beans from Fortino's that are flavored hazelnut chocolate. Cinnamon churl. There's a churl one. Yeah. What's another one? Red velvet. Like oh. there's there's a, any flavor under the sun. It pretty much has. There's so many memes about coffee and parents <laughs> and same with wine. But yeah, definitely the date night ritual, the coffee ritual. Anytime we get to eat yummy food, <laughs> it's nice. See, I put, I put morning coffee for sure because I'm always like when it hits three o'clock in the afternoon, like today or on any day, I'm already looking forward for the next morning's coffee because it's so invigorating but again it's just so warm and happy and you know you're drinking it while the sunlight's pouring in and it feels like a temporary break every sip you have it's like ah just give me this 10 second reprieve from whatever i'm doing and it's really nice it's it's almost better than an after work drink Mm -hmm. 
It's hard to say. It, de it depends because sometimes an after work drink, there's nothing better than that. But definitely the coffee hits more consistently and more often than so what else. do we hit up like Folgers or a coffee company for our next uh, sponsorship deal? <laughs> Everything's business with you, Alex. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about it after this episode. Uh, the next question is also coffee related. It was funny because I knew I was going to answer a coffee question. Like, you know, that, that was my favorite part of the rituals. But how do you take your coffee? Black. Like I, your soul, babe. No, it's I'm, my soul's not black. I'm kidding. Oh, well, have the jokes be a little funnier and... <laughs> Okay, sorry. I take mine with like, I don't know, like a tablespoon of milk. I used to drink it black, but then when I had kids, I started drinking with milk. I just think because I wanted to up enjoyment in any place that I could. So yeah, I used to think black coffee was disgusting, but then with me, I I got you on a black coffee because when we first met and moved in together and got married, well, I used to drink it with sugar. Yeah, I know, babe. You and I started on. drinking. I well, I was drinking black coffee. And then you did it with just milk for a bit, and then you went black like me. And now you're back on the milk. I know. We switched. Oh, and there's a something bit. cool about it, drinking black coffee. I feel like I'm a detective <laughs> or something. How do you like it? Black. And they just look at me and they're like, ooh. I feel like you need to have a cigarette with a black coffee, you know? Yeah. But the fact that I don't even have a cigarette, it's like people think I'm like out of Twin Peaks or something. Oh, it's very cool. You see some pie then. Yeah. All right. So our next question Do you ever get sad that you're done having babies? Quick answer. No. Yes. What? No. I get sad, but I don't want to have more. But I'm like, oh, but then I, I'm happy. You get mad at me every day because I'm like, oh, I can't wait till Betty's four. I know. I hate that. Stop saying that. Next question. Who would be your dream sponsorship? Who would be a dream sponsor? Okay, let me think here. Okay, I'll say mine. Go. Mine would be like a mattress or bedding company. So we recently got awesome pillows from Brooklinen. And I think they do mattresses. And they do duvets. And they do like pajamas and sheets. And I just really love the company. I like everything that they have online. So it's like, man, we could just get our whole lounge life and sleeping life, you know, discounts for all of the people that follow us and listen to the pod for ourselves. We could use our own discounts to get a new mattress and stuff. Okay, I love Beneath Underwear. I love mm. Kitten Ace. I was going to say Tushy, but Tushy became a sponsor. Yeah. So, okay, Kitten Ace for sure. And Kitten Ace, by the way, they just sent us this amazing... Oh, my God. They, this, like, best jacket I've ever worn. Just because we did a TikTok where it shows all my favorite, like, clothes I wear. Like, as as, an, as a man with children, I tend to wear <laughs> similar clothing every day. So we did a, a skit about it, and it, you know, it, it, did, it did well online. And then before we knew it, Kitten Ace was sending us these awesome shirts. So it almost feels like we are sponsored by Kitten okay. Ace in a way. I'll take it. So yeah. So I will say Beneath. Beneath. So the best undies known to man's balls. Yeah. Alex. Man's testicles. Okay. That's better. Testicles everywhere. That's more ladylike. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like you're not really a podcast if you don't have an underwear ad read. Right. Yeah. Everybody does what? Me undies. That's like the podcasting. Wear me undies. Yeah. Me undies are great, but I, I've, I've we have bravado. Mm -hmm. We do have bravado. Yeah. So we're legit. All right. So our final. No, that's our final. That's our final question. Well, a little anticlimactic there on the ending of this. <laughs> well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much. You haven't been leaving us comments lately on the iTunes, but we're not mad. We're just glad that you're listening to us. If you happen to give us a five-star rating, so be it. But right now, we're going to say thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 86.